You're listening to a Monster Kid Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Clock Strikes Midnight, a podcast for discussion of weird, fun films and TV shows to watch late at night. I'm your host, Jay, and tonight I am joined by Jacob, whose voice you might recognize, to discuss 1998's Wes Anderson classic, Rushmore. So turn out the lights, draw the shades, wrap up in your favorite blanket by the speaker, and listen for the 12 bells. Well, I just kind of figured, you know, might as well do it upright in terms yeah. of uh, getting people like in the hu- in the right hushed atmosphere to laugh, basically laugh their gizzards out. Right. Uh, so I've been waiting to say this for a while on my show. So, Jacob. Yeah. What's up? So I've got Jacob basically from uh, who I met through the Test Pattern Show, which is the podcast to start all podcasts for me. And that's <laughs> where this one was a direct offshoot of. So in your own way, my man, this is your fault. It's my fault, huh? Yeah, I, I think saying. that it, podcasting is the fault of the previous podcast that you listened to. I, I got into podcasting by being a guest on and listening to other podcasts, too. And I was like, I just want to do this myself. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, it's just it's just a fun way to sort of uh, sort of guide the narrative and, and cover things that you want to cover, which uh, which is really why I wanted you on here, because uh, so I guessed it uh, with Jacob and Tab on the test on test pattern podcast. And somehow, both in your episodes as well as when we were talking on the episodes we've done together, mm-hmm. you you had let it slip that that you know you were gonna. I think you said that on your first podcast you were gonna do a Wes Anderson uh, oh, yeah. episode. Does that it sound was, right? It was the episode that we were going to record next before it just didn't happen. Yeah, um, that was Cinema Throwdown, which I don't even think is available anymore because I think we stopped paying for it, and that pulls it offline. Um, Man. I do have some episodes on some old laptop somewhere, but uh, yeah, we were supposed to do our favorite respective Wes Anderson movies, and um, we both wanted to pick Zisu. It is it is my favorite. I mean, I think Zisu is probably what drew us together in the first place, more so than Rushmore even. I mean, oh, it, was, man. it was Zisu, right? Oh, by far. Yeah. By far. Zisu is, is, uh, is the pinnacle uh, of my oh. my Andersons, and I'd I'd probably say Rushmore is probably either my probably maybe fourth or so favorite. Should we should we try and do a ranking at the end? Yeah, no, let's let's revisit movies? it because I want to make clear to you and everybody who's listening, all all three people who are listening, <laughs> <laughs> that that I'm a that I just because I rank his films, mm-hmm. all that means is that the I enjoy. Zisu more than the others. Yeah, but yeah. I really, really love. I can't. I don't. I do you, okay. Let's let's just get this out of the way, J- Jacob. Any any of the any of his uh, filmography that you that you don't really care for? There's only one that I haven't seen. 
Um, okay. And that's the Grand Budapest. I have not seen Grand Budapest. But I have seen all the rest of his movies. Um, there is not one that I don't like. Okay. Not. I, I mean, I, I, I think Bottle Rocket for me feels so much unlike his later, his other, all the rest of his stuff. Because Bottle yeah. Rocket is his very first movie. And it does feel more like he went for like an actual movie there. Not that this isn't an actual movie as well, but this movie feels almost like it takes place. Like, like really, we're in Max Fisher's head, and the whole movie is like an unreliable narrator situation. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. The commentary was really enlightening, too, because they really kind of had that intention. Did you get to uh, – do you own this movie? I, I, so I do have the film. I somehow, <laughs> This is this will tell you the state of affairs in my, in my home. Sure. Could, couldn't find it. Oh no! I couldn't couldn't find the DVD or, or the Blu-ray rather. So so I just watched it. So I'm raw. I just watched it twice through, and it's yeah, been a while I since same, I saw it. I did the same. It's been yeah. probably a couple of years for me. Um, I yeah. own it on the Criterion set. I have all his Criterion, uh, every single one of them, and I have it on the. The boxes are so nice. It's his brother's artwork. So it's that pencil drawing stuff. That's going oh, on. it's amazing. Yeah. Is is um, that Andrew's uh, artwork? By yeah, the way, Andrew, yeah. uh, Andrew uh, 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 Wilson. Is, yeah. 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 Or no 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 and is it and or is it Anderson's it, brother? I think it's Anderson's brother. Oh, okay, both of them okay. are in Rushmore. Andrew Wilson's in Rushmore, and so is uh, Wes Anderson's brother. Wes Anderson's brother is the guy. I don't know. I recognize. Sorry, I thought it silenced that. Um, Wes Anderson's <laughs> brother is in. Uh, he's got like glasses and curly hair. He's at the scene where they're digging the. They're about to break ground. And yeah, and and um, Andrew Wilson comes running up at that moment too. <laughs> He's the guy in the middle that has like uh, curly hair and glasses. And Wes Anderson calls him out in the middle of the commentary. And he's like, oh, man. Yeah, um, I'm going to have yeah, to go it's back. His artwork and not every one of the criterions comes with it. But this one has a poster, a full size poster of Rushmore's grounds. And it's got like drawings of each of the main characters and story elements. Um, I was just looking at it. I am also fresh off like the commentary within like the last half hour or so. Yeah, nice. Well, good. You can bring that to the yeah. to the discussion because, yeah. like I said, I'm I'm just raw. Uh, I have the criterion uh, of somewhere. I have the criterion of Royal Tenenbaums, which is the same thing. It's got yes. it's got Anderson's brothers artwork all over it. The main I consider them. There's like main three Wes Anderson movies, and that. And what do you think they are? What are the main three? Well, Zisu. Yep. And then it's got to be. Rushmore and then probably Tenenbaums. It right? is. It is. Yeah. And that's not to say, kind of to reiterate what you said earlier, it's not to say the others are bad. Yeah. But those three hold such, uh, I cannot help but be colored by nostalgia with this conversation. Oh, yeah. Rushmore, I did see it when it came out. I was 15 when, when Rushmore came out. And I saw okay. it within the year because I didn't see it in theaters, but I did see it in um, uh, on, on rental. And it was like, it blew my mind. And it was like, yeah. this is something special. I had not seen Bottle Rocket. I don't even think. Bottle Rocket played outside of like indie theaters, and then I don't even think it had a release. Not no, in the nineties, anyways. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I came back to it. I came back to Bottle Rocket much later too. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me read the summary of the film yeah, for yeah. for the for the listening audience, if in case anybody hasn't seen it. Uh, spoiler alert: We do tend to get deep into plot points and or triggers or whatever we find interesting about the film theme. So if you haven't seen it, or you want to, uh, and you then you are geeked about listening to two big time Wes Anderson nerds just bounce the fun parts off each other. Yeah. Go, go watch it first. But a teenager at Rushmore Academy falls for a much older teacher and befriends a middle-aged industrialist. Later, he finds out that his love interest and his friend are having an affair, which prompts him to begin a vendetta. 
That, that is that is a way to look at this movie. I mean, that's the simplest way to describe it, I suppose. So. It is like I would only add like life comes back and smacks him down so hard. I mean, <laughs> it really like, does, man. This this is a movie of. I don't know, tremendous importance in my life because it introduced me to this concept that not every not every hero, not every protagonist is is pure protagonist, right? Like this is I'm 15 when I saw this movie. So this is like I'm shifting out of the idea of like black and white hero, villain, good and bad yeah. into this whole realm of well, there is no there's not really a good or bad. It's it's more of like yeah. a a perception thing. Like I don't think Max Fisher I don't think Max Fisher thinks himself as a bad guy. No, not at all. I, in I fact, think he understands. He, I, you, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. And not and he does despicable things. Yeah. But um, and yet, I, th- I still think he would consider himself the hero. I oh, uh, absolutely uh, he, would cons- <laughs> he would consider himself a hero in the sense that in his mind everything's slow motion, and we're hearing like some British invasion band playing up loud in the background, <laughs> and there's an audience that's not there clapping for him. That that's, yeah. I mean, that's his whole life. It, it really is. Yeah. But but it's funny because. Even he realizes that, wait a minute, I'm the hero and somehow I haven't won. Mm. And you can see him trying to piece together his broken ideals right. and, and the goals that he's always been able to attain and how they keep falling away from him. And I don't know, that's, we can go into deeper analysis later. But oh, honestly, sure. I'm really curious. You, you covered part of it, but I'm curious to know, you know, it sounds like, so when, when you saw this, it sounds like mm-hmm. you were Max's age. Max is the protagonist. Yeah, it sounds like you were was- Max's age. I think in the movie, he's supposed to be 17. He was 19 when he filmed the movie. So I was, I was pretty close. He was definitely, okay, so like, I'm going to admit, I kind of say this later in my notes, like, I, I, I shouldn't be so reluctant to say it, but I did see Max Fisher when I was that age as a hero. Like, I was, I did not have the world experience yet to understand how despicable his actions are. Yeah. And in yeah. my mind, I saw myself, I saw a lot of myself in, in Max Fisher. Um, yeah. In in the uh, in the sense that like I don't get other people and I don't care to get other people <laughs> and I don't think Max does either and and I think that I mean a lot of people know me from Task Pattern a lot of people know me from my podcast uh, sure but that's just like one part of my personality that I let people see and it's like <laughs> sure. there's a whole yeah. breadth behind this of like the complexities of of reconciling who my what my personality was through movies for my entire life because I, I I've kind of alluded at it on the show, but like I, I don't have life experiences. I have movie experiences. I could tell you where I was when I saw this movie. I know exactly where I was when I saw this movie. I remember the, the position I was sitting in, but um, it's just one of those things where I connected with Max so deeply because he was my age, like you said, Yeah, but also because, I was also a misunderstood youth. I was someone who people did not get. And, and I saw almost like, oh, if Max can be cool, like maybe I can be cool too. And um, it's just one of those things that I got so deeply into that character. And then now it's, it's, it's like Bill Murray. I'm like that way with Bill Murray's character. And it's like I've, I've come full circle from one misanthrope to another, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's crazy, too, because like you've got this. I, I was I'm with you, by the way. I still mm-hmm. see heroic components of both of their characters like uh, like Max is uh, he is singularly minded and persistently committed to his goals. They, and, and they both that it's funny you bring up goals in the commentary. They both talk about this. And this is something I picked up on as well. Sure. His goals are so unrealistic and unattainable, mm-hmm. but he is not persuaded to give up on those goals by anything. This is his life. And 
it's almost like without that struggle to to meet that unrealistic goal, he doesn't know who he is. He has no other personality aspect. Yeah. You're right. I mean, well, because here's the thing: like, um, he, I, I don't think in his head he he's there, he ever thinks he's going to be expelled from no. from Rushmore. I don't think he expected that at all. <laughs> I agree. And you know, he's he's basically you know he feels like he's chummy uh-huh. with, with the chancellor. Uh huh. And uh, and and it's funny. Dr. He's walking Dr. out. Dr. Guggenheim, and, played by Brian Cox. <laughs> Dr. Guggenheim, man. And that's one. Of, okay, I might as well spill it now. That's one of the th- reasons I do love this film. It shows the range of Brian Cox, who is. I just yeah. got to lay this out there, man. This is a hot take. Brian Cox is all day, every day, my favorite Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, he was the he was the OG. I mean, right. So like right. a lot of people don't realize Hopkins was the second Hannibal Lecter. He wasn't the first. Yeah. And Hopkins um, was genius, man. But here's the thing: this is what I like. Short sidetrack. This is sure, what I dug, sure. dug about about Brian Cox's. By the way, every time I say Hannibal Lecter, now I think about um, you watching. Uh, um, what was the name of that uh, oh, no. Jim Carrey movie? Ace when he, Ventura. Yes, Ace Ventura. <laughs> when Hannibal he's upstairs Lecter. and he says Hannibal Lecter, and you, like your child brain said yeah. it was like that's one word, man. What's a yeah. Hannibal Lecter? I, I had no idea. Was I, I didn't get it at all. <laughs> to it, this day, really man, fun, I'm always yeah. like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, but but no, you know what it was? It was the idea that you could have this polished, calm, sort of snooty, but fully coherent uh, gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, who just looks like somebody's, you know, conceited uncle. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> on the other side of, you know, the bars. Right. And, and, and you hear what he's done and you're like, don't get too close to the bars. It's like a Ted Bunny situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's just, he's charming. Yeah. And absolutely. he's like, uh, please approach. I, I, I couldn't possibly, you know, hurt you. Um, and then, I don't know. I love Sir Anthony, but he sort of took it more like uh, psycho from the get go. He did, if you, if you will. He was menacing from the get out, and and if I remember correctly, Brian Cox played it much closer to the book. Uh, and we did that when we did the show because I think we did American Psycho and um, and and uh, Silence of the Lambs together, if I remember correctly. I, and, I think and we you're read right. Yeah, both of those books. It was uh, Andrew Tibbs, I think, or John. I don't know. We have had. So many awesome patrons pick awesome movies. And it's like <laughs> yes, so you hard have. to keep them. And that one is years ago. I was living in my apartment at that time. So we're talking at least three years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember uh, Brian Cox being much more uh, like the book Hannibal Lecter, if I remember correctly. It, it was he, more like the book. And they also put him in that completely white cell. Know, right, right. With all right. the white tile and white and bars. And William Peterson, too. Was, it, was, it yeah. was a totally different experience. Because William Peterson is almost like a, I would call him like a passive actor. Like he just kind of doesn't seem into it at all times. Yeah. Um, but th- that's exact. I mean, he was, that's, that's the role. What Edward Norton did with that role. What was his, what was the character's name? I can't even remember anymore. Uh, it um, was Will. Uh, Will, Will Graham. Graham. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Will Graham. Yeah. Will Graham. One of the most famous like literary characters of all time. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked William Peterson's Will Graham too. I, I like Manhunter a lot. Tom Newton was fucking terrifying. Oh, I, pull, man. I pulled clips from him several times throughout the test pattern canon, just how creepy he is. Yeah. And also just an interesting actor for that matter. Like he's, you know, yeah. does, goes out of his way to to sort of right. tick people off. And, uh, yeah, definitely. And then <laughs> has no problem character. talking trash about it in special features at all. <laughs> Many years later. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, no, like you said, I was uh, so I, I I got from from test pattern that you were a fan. Yeah. And uh, for me. The first I ever heard of Wes Anderson was a friend's wife online in social media. So I had these friends from Michigan, college friends. Sure. And th- these guys moved to, to Los Angeles. 
and he met his wife there and they got married. Well, his, uh, she kept referring to herself online as Margot Tenenbaum. Ah, okay. Like repeatedly. And yeah, I, I was like, yeah. what, what, I, I didn't know what it meant. Sure. And so finally one day I was asked and she said, you know, like, like Royal Tenenbaums. And I'm like, sure. and that is, and she said, just watch it and get back to me. So That's I did. Awesome. That's a and great way hooked. to get into it too. Oh my God. I was hooked. Yeah. Uh, it's all the best things that Anderson has to display, you know? And then, uh, and then I went back and watched uh, Rushmore. Somehow I skipped past Bottle Rocket. I found that later. It wasn't easily available for a really long time. I, when Criterion put it out, that was like the first time you could get it in, in like outside of illegal downloads. But that's where I, yeah. was, uh, as I downloaded it. I couldn't wait. I didn't want to wait. <laughs> yeah, no, same. And I loved it when I finally watched it. And then, of course, after Rushmore. So I went to two to one. Well, okay. I guess three to two. Sure. And then I went to Zisu. And, and if there was any doubt that I would you know, not watch any other Wes Anderson films. That was it. So was when done. was this? Was done. Zisu was already out, like available to rent and stuff? It was. It had just, it had come out and it had just been released on like Blu-ray. Oh, wow. So it was at least a year or two after, you know, the, 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 the screen release. Yeah. Yeah. In theaters. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, it's crazy to think of what a different, like how we grew up so differently changed everything for this scenario. I saw each of these as they came out. I saw yeah. Rushmore as it came out because my family were movie watchers, all of us. And, and we would go to the video store and rent four or five movies. Each person would get their own movie, basically. Um, this what I, I saw Rushmore for the first time because we rented it in 1998 or 99, whenever it came out on, on rental. Um, Royal Tenenbaums? Jenny, my sister, introduced me to that. That yeah. was like she, I was home for college, I think. Maybe I would have been in college by then, but I remember being home around the house and she's like, we got to watch this movie. <laughs> um, she introduced me to that. Napoleon died. Like, she introduced me to a lot of stuff that like I, I had this big, like grumpy attitude towards in my early 20s where I was like, what the hell was I doing? My favorite <laughs> movies I was rejecting because I thought they looked stupid. And I was like, oh, what, a, what a bad take that was. So um, I went. So you went down Wes Anderson, and she she introduced you to Jared Hess films too, huh? Yeah, absolutely, she did. Because I had not. I mean, I rejected Napoleon Dynamite at first. I thought it was the dumbest movie I ever saw, and, and then she like made me sit down and watch it, and I was like, oh my god, the heart in this movie, much yeah. like the heart in all Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, There's so very much, much heart in this movie about people we should hate, and at yeah. the end of the movie, we care about them. But that's like kind of one of my major points. No, um, I agree with you, brother. That's Zisu, exactly, yeah. Zisu, I saw that in theaters with, with Jenny, and one of my best friends who was dating Jenny at the time, I was like their chaperone. That oh, was a no weird kidding. experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. an interesting experience. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, you started off being the chaperone, then you got into the movie. Right, right. <laughs> You're like, hey, this um, is pretty good. And then after that, I mean, I don't even remember what comes next, because those those three were the three for, for a really long time. Those, yeah. I mean, that was like it for Wes Anderson. I honestly don't know that he has surpassed. Uh, I think most people would say Tenenbaums, but I'm going to say Zisu. I, I consider Zisu better than Tenenbaums, but I know it's more of a personal thing. I think general audiences would prefer Tenenbaums. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm with you, man. And the reason yeah. I'm with you, though, is uh, for the uh, to be perfectly fair, is because it's basically Wes Anderson set on the water. Yeah, and these are like yeah. two of my favorite things, like being aboard a ship and out to sail. Yeah. And Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. And that I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. But I'll tell you something, and we'll come back to it at the end so we can do a formal ranking. Mm -hmm. uh, Moonrise Kingdom, 
Yeah. It is a genius work. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is truly outstanding stuff. I, in fact, it's some of Bruce Willis's finest acting ever. Yeah. In my opinion. Have you seen every Wes Anderson movie? Are there any you uh, haven't seen? I've seen all of them that have been released, yes. Okay. French Dispatch um, and, and uh, Isle of Dogs backwards. Yep. I, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, dude. Like, people do not give that movie the credit it deserves. It is so good. Anyways, we'll rank it at the end. It is. No, but his, but I, you know, it's, okay, so I will, I will tell you this. I agree. I love it. I also love yeah. Isle of Dogs. Yeah. I think they're both fantastic. Yeah. That said, for some reason, it, his, and you would think that his sort of what, his quote unquote heightened reality would be perfectly mm-hmm. suited mm-hmm. to animated features. Yeah. And, and it is. But there's something about watching real people there is. navigate that fi- those fictional platitudes that makes me go, uh, I don't know, it, it, it hits the heart even harder it somehow. Does. I mean, somehow. A character like Mr. Bloom, Bill Murray brings so much to that performance that's not on the page. The look yeah. on his face, this performance as a deeply disturbed man. I mean, when he... When they're in the elevator and Max asks him, are you okay? And he's oh, like, man, I've been pretty lonely recently. And he just walks away. Like, I mean, I'm not an actor. I didn't perform that the way he did. But like, you can see in him, like, he's on the verge of something bad. Like, he looks, he needs help. Like, this oh, is major. not going well for him. Yeah. And that's something that, that I, and this was like Bill Murray's first movie back after a big break. And this kind of kicked off his, the second half of his career. Like that renaissance yeah. he had in like the 2000s. Yeah, he's made he's made an excellent uh, he, part of his career. I would say would be amazing turns in character actor roles. Yeah, yeah. as opposed to like necessarily headlining a film. Right. I would even go so far as to say is that although Zizu is the title character for Life Aquatic, mm-hmm. he's he's still such a character. Yeah, he is. He, it's almost like he's like a. You're right. Zizu is such an ensemble that you can't it's like 12 main characters it's, it's, yeah and same with royal tenenbaums too i mean rally st Clair is is a bizarre character that he plays but he's one of my favorite parts of that movie and like oh yeah when he, the way he talks to margo the way he opens the door and uh, when she's in the bathtub and he's like just the, do, the do, look on his face you can just see he's a defeated man he's so dejected <laughs> yeah yeah i mean just like that's something well, that you can't write um, no. They did say in the commentary, you know, like this was this was um, Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson wrote this movie and they wrote it a lot. It was very autobiographical. Yep. Owen Wilson himself was expelled from his private school that was very much like Rushmore. Uh, and he went to a public school that was very much like Grover, Cle- Grover <laughs> Cleveland. It was um, Thomas Jefferson instead of Grover Cleveland. He called okay. it TJ. He said it was TJ. TJ, both, um, both, uh, both uh, former presidents. I get it. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and I guess that the character of Max Fisher was supposed to be much more like a young Wes Anderson. Um, but when they met Jason Schwartzman, they were like, it's his role. I mean, he's got it. Yeah. Well, to, to your point about, um, about Murray, uh, they yeah. wrote, uh, apparently Anderson wrote it with Murray in mind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and he never, I, from what I understand, he really, I don't know if this is just them making lore afterwards, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he never an- anticipated that, that he'd get a response. No. From they Murray. actually were worried because Rocket Bottle had bombed so hard. <laughs> they were they yeah. were really worried. And when they saw the movie, they they knew that they had made something better than Bottle Rocket, but it still got kind of railed when it first came out. I mean, this was not received well. I know why now. I, in retrospect, I get it. Like this is a this is not even an acquired taste. Either this movie will you'll get this movie, or you really won't get this movie. And I don't think repeated viewings are going to help. 
I think it's no, just going to be... No, I, I yeah. agree with you. I think it's also a little bit before more people and, and a greater percentage of the mainstream were willing to embrace the, shall we call him an anti-hero? You know, like, I... With I've all his flaws. I had that word written in my notes earlier. Here's the thing. I think that they're just deeply flawed characters because anti-heroes... People think of comic book characters like Venom and Deadpool that are like jokey um, bad guys that do good things. I think that Max Fisher only does good things because he, he's transgressed so much in this movie. Like he's hurt so many people. Even <laughs> when he goes up into her house, like climbs the window and, and like lies about the car accident, the blood on his head. Like as soon as she calls him on it, he's just like... All right, I'll go then. Like he's just, there's, there's no redeeming Max Fisher. What I think it is is I think it's like the classical w- use of the word pathos. We feel so sorry for both Mister Bloom and Max Fisher. Oh yeah, that we kind of overlook the despicable nature of their actions. And and yeah. so does Rosemary. I mean, she she accepts these two at the end of the movie when she should not accept these two. But no. they're so pathetic. But she cares like, about them. Right. We like, care we about care them. about them. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yes. Because they're both yes. actors that can portray misery very well. And yeah. I think of Max in the month of November, I think it is, when um, Mary Chang, or is it, um, when she goes, what's her name? Not Mary Chang. What's her name? Oh, she, Sarah Tanaka, his, uh, his yeah, girlfriend? What's her, what's his name? What's her name? Oh, the, the character name is... Uh, uh, Margaret Mary? Yang. Margaret Yang. Yeah. Mary Chang, Margaret Yang. Um, when she goes to <laughs> Both Chinese house, names played by right, a Japanese actor, right. a Japanese-American right, actress. Right, right. <laughs> she's awesome, by the way. Oh, she's fantastic. One of my favorite characters. Yeah. Um, she left acting. Did you know that? I did not. She I, went I mean, to the... I, un- she went... To, check this out, man. She yeah. went to the University of Chicago Medical School, Pritzker Medical School. No kidding. Uh, yeah, and... And currently practices as a cardiologist uh, in, uh, in I think it's in the Bronx. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah. She's so great she, in this movie. And this is a perfect opportunity to be like, I'm a doctor, but I also have the role in this really quirky movie. And yeah. it's a very charming role in a very charming Oh, she's movie. great. She's, she's a big part of the heart that you were talking yes. about. And that's what I think it is. Like, I don't think that we're meant to even see them as antiheroes because they, they do nothing heroic at all. They're self-serving <laughs> the entire time. Even at the <laughs> end... When he dedicates the play to, you know, a friend of a friend, Edward, Alp- Edward Appleby, it's it's to get it's to manipulate her into disliking him less. It's not <laughs> a genuine dedication. Uh, yeah, I guess I can. I know what you're saying. You know, you said something before that resonated. You said antiheroes are uh, bad characters that that, okay, that do fi- wind up doing good things. Right. Kind uh, of. This that's is how, kind of. I think that's how the public perceives it anyways. Yeah. And, and these guys, uh, Bloom and Max in particular, and like you said, to an exter- a certain extent, Rosemary, mm-hmm. are are basically good but broken people who wind up doing some really bad things. Yeah. Especially to each other. Right. Uh, I, and I think that the their agency is, is almost dependent on their age level. Like, Max is almost forgivable because he's still technically a kid. <laughs> totally. Mr. Bloom is like, there's no, there's so little redeeming qualities to him other than... He is a broken man, and there's nothing sadder than a broken man walking around, like, throwing his life away to booze yeah. and, and living well, in a hotel and stuff. Oh, my God. Oh, man, it's just bad news. Although, to yeah. be fair, Max put him there. I mean, he put himself yeah, there put by, him, I mean, that by, was, by yeah, doing the him, deed, but uh-huh, Max, uh-huh. like, called his wife up to the 
Yeah. Offered her sandwich and said, uh, <laughs> tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> tuna fish or bizarre peanut scene. butter and jelly. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. Well, it's that kind of stuff that I love though. I mean, that's, that's exactly my kind of sense of humor. I well, same. I, I, I couldn't, I, it, it's, I have to admit, man, it was hard to prep this, uh, for two reasons. One is because, um, I, I want to do it justice. Yeah. Uh, two is because you're a seasoned pro and I'm a hack <laughs> at podcasting. I'm seasoned. I don't know that I'd say I'm a pro. <laughs> I'm seasoned. And, uh, but no, honestly, I just, um, mostly I just wanted to, to, to talk about these, this film that I love in a, in a way that, that would express how hard we you know, feel about it. So I agree talked with to- you though, that it's hard because this is the kind of movie that not everyone will like. And I don't even think people will get it. Not, I it's hard to say because it sounds very gatekeepery, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like I acknowledge that Wes Anderson's movies are already an acquired taste, um, yeah. but this movie even more so it has less redeeming value. Like Zisu, <laughs> he at least turns his life around at the end, and like he, do, although he's pretty horrible with Ned. I mean, I don't know. There's something about like I, I'll speak. I guess I'll speak for a little bit for both of us here. There's sure. something about our connection to those deeply flawed male characters. And like, I, that's exactly what it is for me. Totally. Um, Zisu. I, I connected with Max deeply until I saw life aquatic. And then I was like, well, psh, Steve Zisu might as well be my spirit animal. I mean, exactly, <laughs> you, like well, the, you and I both, the image of him falling down the stairs. And when he stands up, he's like, well, that's the shot. Me falling down the <laughs> stairs, my life in shambles, a man broken. And like, that, that's just exactly like so many times I felt like giving up like that. And, and yeah, the only yeah, he is, literally trips on his own life. Yeah, like on his way down. The, yeah, absolutely. These stairs. Well, it's funny that you said that, man. So I, um, I've got a, a couple of years on you and Tab. Yeah. And I, I, I got to be honest, it's 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 pathetic and sad. But but the pathetic and sad parts about Herman, mm-hmm. uh, I am actually now relating to more than right. I did. And I, I'll, I mean, not you know in toto, but uh, sure, it, at, sure. towards the end, I'm going to try and bring that full circle and explain why. Uh, specifically those kinds of uh, character traits have, I have a little more sympathy for, or at the very least I, I tend not to, I, I, I won't come down on people too hard for them. Right. Um, I mean, I already admitted that I saw Max Fisher as a hero character. I mean, I, I, well, I'm with you though, man. No one's this... perfect, but like, I, I get what you're saying that it, it, sometimes it's hard to admit how much we see ourselves in characters that are deeply flawed. Oh, and, very. And and I think that Wes Anderson does it justice because at the end of his movies, he always brings us back up, right? Always. That he's so careful with our feelings. And I appreciate oh, yeah. that a lot. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't just leave you, you know, completely destroyed and like yeah. open hearted on the, you know, bleeding on the floor. To be, to be fair, though, he, he does take you to depths in the middle. Oh, and yeah. yet, while he's doing it, somehow you still care what happens to these, yeah. you know, these people doing awful things. It's drama, right? It's like the the great eternal, like, these people are caught in a dramatic situation. And, and whether you want to or not, you do care for them. You do. And I, I think, well, speaking as a straight cis male, uh, and I, I believe you are too, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to exclude any other um, orientations sure. nor uh, genders, but that said, now with just with that little caveat, you know, I can, and I'm probably you can too i can i just relate to falling in love with a much older woman you know one time in your life or at least being infatuated let's not say falling in love let's say just being totally infatuated with a much older woman or younger i mean you know this kind of stuff doesn't come up on test parent at all but like 
But I, I would I would say this movie mirrors my my love life in <laughs> shockingly realistic ways. Like a series of disastrous, terrible relationships is, is what. Oh I've man! Gotten. It's like, and, and you know, the older women have done that. Mm-hmm. Unava- emotionally unavailable women have done that. Yep. Um, uh, involved with someone else doesn't not yeah. no interest in you. Yeah. Uh, done that. Out of my league. I've done that. Into, projecting into a friendship and then realizing like, oh, only I see this. Okay. Well, that sucks. Oh man, big time. <laughs> not, you know? not not not. I'm not faking accidents to climb into women's windows. Let's clarify that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, like I said though, is they're taking they're taking look those those right. those impulses and turning them into caricatures right. that are somehow real within the fiction that he's telling, which is or why even, I love his movies, man. Even going way too far with some big expensive project thinking it's going to do anything or or thinking that there's th- thinking that that's a way that someone would want you to express <laughs> your your affection for them. It's just interesting that he knows Wes Anderson knows how to make a movie for that kind of person. And, and it works really well for that kind of person or for people that can understand and not like judge that kind of person, but to understand that there is a, there is a, a kind of a tragedy to that type of character. Yeah, no, there is. And there's a relatability to it or else you yeah. and I wouldn't be sitting here saying, right. right. A love the movie, B related to Max. And mm-hmm. and at least for me, C related to Bloom in some ways. I, I don't uh, know. I, I mean, I'm not that much younger than you. There's gray. There's gray in my beard too. And I, I will say, definitely, Mr. Bloom is a totally different character for me now uh, than even probably the last time I watched this movie, which is only uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. No, no, that's that's an excellent uh, that's an excellent point too. Yeah, I start to relate to them all, and I even relate to Rosemary. I mean, I, and I, I've actually I don't know if you we've talked about this, but I actually have somebody very close to me pass away. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, and so when she's like having a real hard time letting go, uh, to the point where she's like li- li- literally living. They never really explain how she got there, but I think she's. Yeah, she uh, says she's a house guest, an extended house guest in his house, but yeah, like maybe his parents are there, maybe they, they maybe they're abroad or vacation. Might be painful for them, right? They might just yeah. be letting her stay there because it's too painful for them to deal with it as well. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so she, she stays there, but his room, she stays in his room that's basically set up as if he's Max's age. Yeah. Uh, which that's is also, what the pictures are of Owen Wilson, by the way. Him yeah. As a kid. You know what? That's what I heard. And I, I didn't, yeah. I went back and looked and I, I didn't see him. Were they actually, they're, were they're they, just small pictures in the background, like little pictures of little Edward in the background. Okay. Um, but they're, it's more for flavor. I don't even think she like holds one of them up to the camera or anything. Like it's, it's no. nothing like that. But it's just it's it's funny to think that like Owen Wilson plays Edward Appleby and then Luke <laughs> Wilson plays. Does he even get a name? Does does the surgeon get a name? Oh yeah, this is uh, it's funny that you that you're that when neither of us are remembering it because right. I think his name is Peter. Okay, I think his name is like Peter Flynn or something, something like, like that. that. But yeah. but the funny part is uh, Max immediately and intentionally forgets the name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like almost immediately very goes deliberate passive aggressive move there. He says, uh, "And and this gentle this young my gentleman is." And then he's introducing them to. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember who comes over uh, to say hello. Is it the Guggenheims? Anyway, he's introducing him. He says, uh, "This is Rosemary Cross, and mm-hmm. I didn't catch this young gentleman's name." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just this passive aggressive <laughs> digs, man. And, and that's and to him, they're not passive aggressive. It's just who he is. Like, yeah, he doesn't He's, think of that kind of. Thing. I blocked. He, he saw red, and he did not yeah. see any name because this is his girlfriend. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or at least the object of his obsession, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, which, hey, might actually lead us into a couple of uh, uh, favorite scenes. 
Sure. If you got some. Um, we we got a list here because if you look, I you you nailed what what do you think is my favorite scene in the whole movie? I mean, it's probably mm. is the scene that you selected before I had a chance to. Okay, well, it was hard for me to pick it, so I just started listing ones that I thought were amazing. But mm-hmm. honestly, the uh, the vendetta montage. Yeah, that's it. That, that is, is that's yours too. It's it's not just like as a kid obviously that was because it's a very funny moment it's like the, the it's like the peak of like kind of laugh haha humor in this movie because yeah. i don't i don't know that this movie <laughs> people will think it's funny at all a lot of the comedy is not haha comedy in this movie a lot of the comedy is like really awkward strange interpreting yes humor. embarrassing yeah uh, or humiliating yeah pathetic comedy <laughs> that's a good word too um this you said you said as, pathos and I say yeah, angst. Yeah, pathos yeah. and angst the whole time. Someone's angst is it elicits pathos. There you go. <laughs> yeah, um, completely. But that scene as a kid was the scene where I was like, I love this movie. Like, yeah. But as an adult, I recognize that's a funny moment, but it's Wes Anderson's aesthetic, right? That oh, yeah. makes it so funny. The way he plays these musical choices that no one would pick in 1998. I, you know what I'm saying? Like these movies, this, this is all like British invasion shit. He said it was supposed to be the kinks. The whole movie was supposed to be the kinks. Yeah. I, I don't, I know get he, the rights. Oh, is that what it was? It was expensive. I, I was, and he had the CD that he was listening to a British invasion as he was writing the movie. And okay. He said that just stuck with it. And he used that. He used a lot of the songs from the CD. Well, that, to be fair, to. uh, I think they fit seamlessly. Oh, I can't I imagine it. With There's any only other one soundtrack. movie that I think does music better. That's Wes. Oh yeah, Anderson wait, don't don't it. tell me, don't tell me. You're, you're gonna have to tell me later because okay. I, I have right. to. But uh, I'm gonna have to try and see if oh, I can man, guess it. Oh man, I don't it. know. But now that I think about it, there's like two movies that do it better. I think the movie, <laughs> in the, uh, the music in this movie is perfect. It really is. It, it's yeah. it's caught my attention even when I was younger and I didn't recognize like that was something to catch was the use of yeah. music. But when that music plays, it's the um, making time right. Is that what plays? Yeah. While they're, uh, while the they're, creation at the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> that scene is fantastic. That That is oh, my favorite scene of the movie, even to this day. But I will acknowledge it's not necessarily the best scene of the movie, right? There's more yeah. interesting scenes. Well, maybe, but each one of those, like, and so the cinematography we haven't even spoken about. Oh, but he, my God, I he know. captures these basically vignettes, beautiful yeah. photographic yeah. vignettes. He's I mean, talk symmetrical. about an emotion. Yes. Symmetrical in his and that, that becomes much more pronounced later oh, yeah. in his work. He's, like he's here. one of the few directors that's going to tell like, an actor to look straight into the camera. I'm just going to frame you like we're framed right now. Like yeah. literally the camera's directly <laughs> right in front of you. You're in the center of the shot and you're looking at the camera delivering really heavy dramatic lines. That's really oh, yeah. strong in Royal Tenenbaums. That's used extensively. I, you know what? It's funny you said that, like that one line with um, with Richie in front of the mirror where he sh- basically shaves off oh, his, yeah, uh, his yeah, head, yeah. his long, crazy today, think, beard. Right? Yeah, he says, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow, and then proceeds to try and kill himself. It's mm-hmm. just the weird like juxtaposition of these. Of the, and like, the, why did he say tomorrow? We don't know. The music, and then he just does the, it? Can't the wait? music yeah. again, man. Needle in the hay. By, oh, um, yeah. It, Elliot Smith. So, Elliot Smith, yeah. It's so good. And, yeah. and I think there's very few movies where the music and the drama together enhance each other. Well, I... I don't know. A lot of directors use music to do that. Wes mm-hmm. Anderson makes the best musical choices for every scene, right? He really does. Yeah. And it starts with, okay, so if I'm going to talk scenes, it starts with this one. And Mark's, Mark Mothersbaugh gives an amazing piece for this. It's a it's creation yes. for this movie. Yes. And it's called The Hardest Geometry Problem in the World. I picked that scene to talk about because 
I think it's like a perfect distillation of the movie overall. Max Fisher has like these completely unrealistic goals and expectations. He doesn't seem to know or care how the real world works. And and it's almost like his fantasy start to bleed into a reality. And if we're going test pattern, that's like there's my there's my test pattern hook is like yeah. Max Fisher is like a psycho. He's like living a world living in a world of his own mind. Yeah. But because this movie is a Wes Anderson movie, it's kind of like this is interesting to watch instead of sad and terrifying. <laughs> well, and to be fair, he also has severe sociopathic tendencies as they well. Bo- yeah. And you know, like, both yeah. absolutely. Yeah. He pulls people, like he manipulates yeah. people and yeah. pulls them into doing Their things that they would the never world. do. I mean, and... the, the things they do to get attention from Rosemary Cross are insane. <laughs> the money spent by Bloom, the just the 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 out of his way react or like when he shows up at her house he's like oh i thought we had something planned today a, a walk in, a trip to the museum no like that's <laughs> no. just all fake he's yeah. lying he's exactly you're like a serial killer does <laughs> completely and i actually to continue that particular one she says he she he stands there awkwardly long enough that she offers him a carrot which yeah. he accepts as a snack well, yeah Anderson i'll take one of those specifically <laughs> calls out that carrot he says Bill out there, Bill, I know you're out there. This is the best carrot anyone's ever eaten. He specifically loved the way that he bit the piece of carrot. And he was so happy with it that he had to stop the commentary to talk about that moment. So that was amazing. Well, that sounds like a, that definitely sounds like an Anderson moment. But yeah. to your point, so Mark Mothersbaugh wrote the score. Yes. And Mark, for those of uh, for those of folks who don't know him, do you want to tell the, the the listeners who who he is? I mean, he's from Devo, which is a band. See, the thing is, I think people our age know who Devo is, but I think even younger than me, and you're hitting generations that are like, "What the fuck is Devo?" Like, yeah. they were something new at a time when people didn't even know what to do with Devo yet. They had no idea. People still don't know what to do with Devo. No. They're they're kind of a uh, they were at the cutting edge of new wave, which basically right. means they took the the sounds uh, and a little bit not quite as hardcore thrash from punk mm-hmm. and the ideas of rebellion and turned them into kind of a uh, <laughs> a bit of a pluffy. Yeah, well, it, you know it's, what Devo is? They're the Wes Anderson of music, is what they are. <laughs> that's exactly I mean, you think of their music are, videos man. and how like that's like Wes Anderson's aesthetic. 30 years before he started making movies. Oh, I think you're onto something. Yes, that's exactly right. I think of their very early stuff with those crazy, like, conehead things that they had going on. Like, yeah. Uh, we, I, I, I am Devo. We are Devo. That, that first song, like, De Evolution, that, that one of their very first music videos. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, that, mo- that one and Whip It. Yep. Got, yeah, a lot of, yeah. got a lot of airplay. And it's like, and it's oh, like you're watching that. it, and, and much like a Wes Anderson movie, you're just confused, and at the end, you're like, I think I liked it, even though I was confused by it. I think it left me liking it, and that's exactly what Wes Anderson does. You're, you're confused right, confused for most of the movie. You're like, is this, like, in real real world? Both Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson admit in the commentary, they wrote this with surreality in mind. Like, yeah. This is supposed to be Max's view of the world. Specifically, when he's leaving Grover Cleveland, you can see the building is just destroyed. It's like, it looks like he's in the slums. Yeah, and Owen right. Wilson says, the way we wrote that, that's in his mind. He said to everyone else, they would just see a high school. But Max <laughs> sees it as this like complete like sham of a school. Yeah. I no, he that does. was really cool. And like I will say the commentary really added a lot to the way you interpret this movie. And if you're a commentary person, this criterion set is totally worth your time. I have to go back and listen to it, man, because I yeah. missed it. But Schwartzman, uh, Schwartzman's in there too. 
Um, yeah, he oh, talks yeah. about he talks about the uh, that that the opening like the, the dinner scene. That's like one of the very first heavy scenes. Yeah. And Schwartzman's like, this was the first one. This was number one. Um, Bill had just arrived in town, and we had one hour together to rehearse. And he had never met Bill Bill Murray before. Oh and he God. said it was awkward and it was horrible. And he walked out of the hotel that night thinking this movie's going to fail. And then they show up and they get magic on the set. So go figure. But um, <laughs> that that scene was something that Schwartzman was really nervous about. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I can't. Can't say I blame him, but he pulled it off beautifully. Yeah. And and that scene just becomes like one disaster after another. So first, <laughs> you can kind of tell that. Yeah, <laughs> so Max is is a little bit drunk. Oh yeah. And yeah. you're not entirely sure how he got that way. Yeah. But as as the scene goes on, he keeps like insulting Rosemary's. Da- I think he's her date. I think, I think that's so. what that was. We're, we're meant to take it that way. Yeah. And he just keeps insulting and then turning back to Rosemary saying, hey, this isn't my fault. This is yours. Uh, I I wrote a hit play and this was a big night and I wanted I invited you. I didn't invite him. And uh, and and at some point, uh, the the truth is told where she goes, well, you shouldn't have bought him that whiskey and soda. She says it to Herman. (laughs) So Herman was the one who got him drunk. The look on Herman's face throughout that scene, he's just like, Max, cool it, cool it, cool it. You're going too far with this. Maxie, (laughs) chill out, Maxie. I think he even says that stuff, like, Maxie, you got to chill out right now. Yeah. And, and it's that scream of, like, I wrote a hit play. What did you do? And, just, and then, the obviously, like, because I love you. And just freak yeah. out. Like, oh, what a scene. What a scene. <laughs> that, that OR Scrubs line is the, yes. is the moment from the trailer that I remember saying, I'm going to see that movie because of the OR line. That kind of humor was already appealing to me. And it was oh, yeah. more than the OR line. It was Bill Murray's awkward laugh into his drink where he like <laughs> spits his drink up a little bit. I remember seeing that in trailers and thinking, I'm going to watch that movie. That yeah. looks good to me. That, that Oh, no, it was amazing. And it's I still say that to some of my friends. I yeah. hang out sometimes with I, guys I who wear scrubs and wait women who wear setups. scrubs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, but, but that said, I mean, it's kind of like you've got this 15-year-old kid and this 50-year-old man and they're they are so similar you know they, they really are rosemary it's, wasn't wrong when she said they deserve each other he's like you, you two are you deserve yeah. each other you're little children yeah. you're both yeah. little children Misery loves company and man they are some miserable people but so mother's ba who you were uh-huh. saying about your scene he, he writes this beautiful score and yeah. it's got this little light mercurial sound to yes. it, it right? and that it's mischievous becomes, it becomes the wes anderson sound yeah. Because he did it for Zisu. I think he did it for Tenenbaums as well. He wrote the music, the scores for those three movies for sure. I don't yeah. know about later movies, but I do know those three. Because I it's I, I, I admit, I had a playlist. I had the Mother's Ball Wes Anderson playlist set up. Back nice. in iTunes days, way back in the day. I don't even know if that stuff's on Spotify. I'll be honest, I have no clue. That's a good point. Well, this would be a good excuse to go look for it. Right, I suppose right. set up a Wes but... Anderson playlist. <laughs> I know that the, the I know that the Rushmore music is because I was listening to that the Rushmore music like Mother's Law music like they had the whole soundtrack for Rushmore. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, and then your but your uh, your geometry uh, scene, yeah, the hardest geometry problem in the world, uh, and they say, well, you know, what would you do if we the class is asking, well, yeah. what would you do if somebody you know got it or got it right? He said, well, considering my professor Dr. Leakey at <laughs> MIT, <laughs> MIT. <laughs> was unable to come up with the right answer. 
And of course, Max gets up with his cup of tea and yeah, <laughs> the seriousness of that teacher, and he's like, "I'd see to it that never one of you that that the whole class would never yeah. have to open a math book ever again." Yeah, exactly. You know, that's Mister. Uh, what is it? What? Uh, what jeans? Oh, Mister Little Jeans. Mister Little Jeans. That's his son. That's Mister Little Jeans' son. Oh, really? Wait, yeah. the the character or the or the, the actor? The actor is Mister Little Jeans' son. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. that's he, very. He's cool. in Bottle Rocket too. He's he's like the, he's the, owns the bookstore that they rob. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot These, about that. This, oh my god, that's this a movie funny scene. already starts to establish like the Wes Anderson like character pool, yeah. right? The repertory uh, yep. group that keeps coming back to his films. Yep. Um, little Jeans that, is great in uh, Tenenbaums <laughs> when he stabs Gene Hackman with a little tiny pocket. <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> that that line delivery. That's pretty much. That's exactly it too. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I think I I don't remember if the act, that actor had passed or. Because he, I don't think he was in. Seymour Castle was in. Um, Seymour Castle Zisu. made it through Zisu. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know that he went much further than that. Again, after Zisu was what Darjeeling? Is that what came next? Uh, yeah, and I was yep. not a fan of that when I first saw it, and that turned me off to watching a lot of the the later Wes Andersons. So I would just yeah. recycle the, fir- the the Holy Three, the Trinity, right? Yeah, and then sure. When I when um, Tab and I first started the show, we opened up like a Criterion account. And that first Criterion sale, I was like, ding, 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 just knocked out all the Wes Andersons that were available, which I yeah. think at that point might have been up through Moonrise Kingdom. Um, so I oh, own okay. Grand Budapest. I just haven't watched it yet. I own a lot of movies that I haven't watched. Sad. Uh, so he, so Kumar Payana was the uh, the actor who plays Mr. Little Jeans. He passed away in 2013. So that would have uh, been, Zisu was 2005-ish, 2006 Yeah, maybe? so he was around for Darjeeling and Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom. I'd have to go back and see, uh, maybe yeah. he shows up in smaller roles or something like that, but yeah. he's, a, he's a staple early. They uh, say uh, he came from the town, like the Texas town where Wes Anderson and Ellen Wilson grew up. Yeah, kind of where they were from. Well, your your um your scene leads into the second part of the scene, which is when <laughs> Max actually wakes up, yeah, uh, in the chapel, and and it's that the Bill Murray speech, which I wrote the whole speech out here. It's not very long. Well, it's not the whole speech. It's the part that, that punctuates it, though. Oh yeah, and and his delivery is so good. I'll do my best, but you were born rich, and you're going to stay rich. But here's my advice to the rest of you: take dead aim on the rich boy. Get them in the crosshairs and take them down. Just remember, they can buy anything, but they can't buy a backbone. And then he just turns and walked off. Like <laughs> that that scene, and then also I took a picture of it. There's that scene, like so like if you think of that speech, yeah. It's not really reflective of anything in the movie, right? They're like this is there's there's the classism in this movie really is that Max Fisher wants to get out of what he considers to be low class. Right. right. Or, or, or like he, he sees his dad as the barber as like, I, I think he even says like, I'm a barber son, dad. Like he like treats it <laughs> as if he's like a, a beggar on the streets or something. They have yeah. a nice little house. They have a lovely little life. They do. And he's probably, he's one, he and, uh, and, uh, Tanaka are the, like the nicest people right. in the whole movie. Right. Genuine night. They're like, and, and Dirk has his moments. I, yeah. we can't we can't get out of here without talking about Dirk Calloway, one of my favorite True. characters. Um, <laughs> that 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 kid's a, an amazing actor. Wes uh, Anderson actually talked about him legitimately being. He's like, you could walk up to that kid and tell him one small inflection change, 
bam, he would do it on the next take. He was, yeah. so, he was so nervous to hire him because he was already uh, Dennis the Menace. And he's like, I didn't want people to recognize him as Dennis the Menace. Yeah, Mason Gamble. I didn't yeah. um, I didn't recognize. I don't think I saw Dennis the Menace. Did you? <laughs> I was, uh, this is where our age difference really shows. Man. Okay. I, did, I, I saw Dennis Menace in theaters. That was, okay. that was a major movie for me <laughs> as a kid. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is in that movie as the villain. He's fantastic. Yeah, nice. Very um, nice. So I'm pulling up the quote that's written down in uh, the book that Edward Appleby wrote. Because I think that this speech here mm-hmm. and the words that Edward Appleby wrote are beautiful, but they have nothing to do with the movie. The words that Edward Appleby wrote, I, I want to see what your take is. I took a picture, but I just don't know. Oh, here we go. All right. So he wrote, when one man, for whatever reason, has the opportunity to lead an extraordinary life, he has no right to keep it to himself. <laughs> so in my mind, Max reads that and thinks like, well, I have to get my plays out there, right? Yeah, totally. I guess and that that's, a a, that's a Jacques Cousteau quote. It, it is a Jacques Cousteau uh, quote. Which then goes on to to feed the Zisu lore as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think he, he reads it and he is uh, motivated by the person who wrote it and eventually finds his way backwards to Miss Cross. Yeah. This actually segues into my scene which is really yeah. short and really stupid but it's no, still no. i think it's There's really no funny because stupid, so he he comes to her he comes to her attention and and uh and and decides that he he asks her if she needs assistance uh they talk a little bit um on the uh, on the bleachers about how you know he gives her a light to her cigarette and then asks <laughs> yeah. how long she smokes and and yeah. she, she should probably quit um and she uh uh, divulges that she went to Harvard, and he, of course, says, "Well, Harvard's my backup school. <laughs> my backup school, right? Right. <laughs> Oxford and and uh, Cambridge are my are my top choices." Um, but uh, she asks if what he wants to study. Uh, he says mathematics and pre med, and uh, and she and he asks what her major was. And at Harvard, they don't have majors; they have sort of foci, if you will. Sure, they call sure. it something different. Yeah. Uh, and she says Latin American trade policy or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. And uh, and he says, uh, do you know they're canceling Latin? I mean, <laughs> Latin, he, just, right, right. <laughs> he becomes a 15-year-old, like in the snap of a finger. how far out of his depth he is, like how yeah. he's got oh, these yeah. grand plans. But when you boil it down, he, he can only talk, take it so far before it, it's shown he's just a little child. Yeah, he's just a kid. And the worst part is, we'll talk later about what happens to, to Herman, is that Herman actually has the experience. Yeah. And he still can't escape right. that sort of ridiculous childlike behavior. I think Herman self-sabotage is pretty hard, though. Oh, yes, <laughs> like, he does. Man. I think so does Max. I think they both do. Again, they deserve each other. They're both they deserve children. each other. Well, yeah. he he, find, he he weasels his way into her classroom, and he's yeah. acting as her assistant, and he's being uh, a, a sycophant to her. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point, he, uh, he, he asks her, they're feeding the fish. They're going along a line of fish tanks. Yeah. And they're feeding the, he's helping her feed the fish. And uh, he asks her, so how did you uh, find out that you would, you know, how'd you find out to apply to teach at Rushmore? And she says, oh, well, my husband went here. Yeah. And, and, and in a, just a classic physical comedy moment, he, he <laughs> literally drops all of the food, the whole food container into the fish Right, tank. right. And there's this look of panic on his face. And, the, and, and he just, and then he immediately starts to, he grabs a fish net to go and like get, get it out. And, uh, and then he continues, yeah. uh, rattled, he continues the conversation. I don't know, that was just like, the, the, the funniest physical comedy moment that's it's so Wes Anderson is not above silly no physic, physical bits no like that not at all but yeah. but they're a different tone that I think people would think of that kind of humor right like it's this is 
Wes Anderson is almost classy humor, but it's weird and it doesn't make sense. I don't even, it's like, <laughs> it's highbrow humor for people that are like, I, I don't know, receptive to oddness and quirkiness and see it as charming and funny. Yeah, sure. And, and like you said, it's all that little tiny stuff that happens in, in, in a split second. And if you look away, you're going to miss it. That's the kind of stuff that's great. Like Herman hiding behind the tree, right? They're like peeking. Yeah. Oh out. man. Like that's so another good. moment where like, if you look away for one second, you're going to miss that shot. Or when sure. he, when he goes to leave after they have the, after he has the carrot, he runs, he sprints yeah. away. <laughs> and that was Owen Wilson. He said that basically on that last take, they were like, how do you, how would you feel if you ran away <laughs> at the end? And Bill's like, oh, let's go, let's do it. And that was oh, the yeah. take they used. And, and it's just like that kind of little stuff is yeah. so weird. And people, I think, that are not into the kind of humor that we are will look at it and just be like, what the fuck was that? Like, why did he run away? <laughs> they're, they're not going to get why it's funny. And it's yeah. not necessarily like slapping my knees laughing funny. No, it's, it's, it's just a, an... It's, Bizarre. It, it's a bizarre choice. I'm completely with yeah. you. And you can't necessarily explain why it's funny. It just right. it just is. That's, you know? that's the hard part about this movie. I would say the same thing about Jared Hess, which I consider these two, like, they have cornered awkward humor for me. And oh, yeah. I can't explain why either one of them are funny. I can't explain why Nacho Libre is, like, the funniest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I can't, because most people are going to watch it and think it's the dumbest shit on earth. Uh, I out, I thought that was outstanding. I ha I have to uh, I have to genuflect to um, to gentleman Broncos. So. Yeah. Well, that's the that's peak Jared. Hatch, yeah. My that's like that's his Zisu. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I, mean, I, I would agree. <laughs> it, the best double feature from both of them would be Zisu and gentleman Broncos. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic a fantastic double feature. Oh man. Now now I'm really sorry that I didn't pitch that to to test pattern. I think didn't. I make Annie watch Gentleman Broncos because that was, but that was before we were doing two movies. It would have been great to do like Napoleon, like weird movies. Like she would have done Napoleon Dynamite. And I would have done Gentleman Broncos, but I don't know. Every time I've tried showing it to someone, just check yeah, out. My dad made it like 45 minutes and then he just like, he's like, I can't, I'm just, I can't do it. I can't watch it. <laughs> I was in the room with him. He got up and left. Like, oh, geez. Well, you know what it is, man? I think that those, that there's, there's a certain level of conventionality that, yeah. Uh, that people right. look for is that a word conventionalism anyway i mean i, I get what you were saying because neither one of the like neither one of these directors makes a conventional movie at all no in fact not... wes anderson's like parodied online like have you ever seen like if wes anderson made the x-men movie have you yeah. ever seen that like that's very funny to me and i'm it, like uh, this shows he should <laughs> this shows to me that he should make the x-men movie well it's ext it's extraordinarily funny and i also have found myself i have to admit though i found myself sometimes watching rushmore i wish they would I love the lighter moments and I wish they would delve yeah. a little bit into the darker things. Just a little bit, yeah. not a lot. Because that's what he finally wound up doing in, in um Tenenbaums. Tenenbaums and I think Zisu is And Zisu too, yeah. And definitely movie. Darjeeling. Uh yeah. is like just dark yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, so dropping the fish food, that was that was my first uh that was my a first funny, moment. funny favorite scene, yeah. Um, I think the, the kind of we both have moments from this next scene too. the Serpico yeah. play, man, when he cuts from them, like swearing and stuff and you cut to the audience and it's like kindergartners sitting <laughs> crisscross applesauce on the floor, staring with just like, un, like just unknowing disbelief of what's happening. <laughs> and then like how seriously Dirk Calloway acts as the nun. He's yeah. Like, the undercover nun. Oh, the, and for me, it's like taking it 
to the line and watching <laughs> Max Fisher off stage like snap it out too. Yeah, he's like he gave him the reading. He's like, do it right. like this, do the line. And then that leads into your moment here too. Uh, yeah, well, and before we even get to that, just a quick second. So you've got, this is another thing that I think that Anderson does, certainly in Rushmore, but in other, in mm-hmm. other movies of his too, where he, you're, you're clearly watching a film, but at the very beginning, he frames it like a stage play. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. He's got the proscenium over yeah. above and the curtains yeah. uh, down below. Yeah. And he even puts up like a little, um, a little easel that'll be like part one. Where, where most directors do an establishing shot, he, like you said, he frames it like it's a play. Tannenbaum's yeah. has part one explicitly, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. And, and, uh, and it also has, has the, the cross cuts of the, they, they, they'll do like almost transitionals of like cross cuts of the, of the boat, the Fontaine. Is that the boat? Is that oh, the, the big Cote one? The Cote d'Ivoire? Is that the big boat? The one he's, or like, what's the one that's like his main, there's Jacqueline the submarine. Is it? No, the Fontaine. So he's on the. You mean Richie? Richie's on the Cote d'Ivoire. Okay, that's what it and, is. Okay. And he's on the boat. But yeah, like you're saying, they do these yeah. crosses. And then they have, for some reason, they have Alec Baldwin in a voiceover. Yeah. During the Very. I did, actually, it took me a long time to figure out that was Alec Baldwin. And that was him. Just and like, it's read beautifully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, it's, it, and you would never know. And then you stop and you're like, I do re- who was that guy? And he yeah. never comes back. Yeah. You know, he just reads the beginning. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to remember, is it Courtney Vance who does the narration for Isle of Dogs? It's Courtney know. Vance, I only man. Saw, I only saw Isle of Dogs once. Okay. I was I was uh, taking some medicine at the time, and I don't remember it very well. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I really don't remember it very uh, well at all. I, I will tell clock. you, though, I, that one, and I'm like, I, I'm due for my watch of Budapest. I really am. And yeah. Like, watching this, getting ready for this, like, it made me want to watch Tenenbaum so much, and then that's going to lead into Zisu. I got I Listen, I'm, I, you You got to let me know what you think of Budapest. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to say too much aside from that. I really, really enjoyed it. Of course. That's that's all I'm going to I think it, it there. when it came out... It's probably my third favorite. We'll ready. Because yeah. I think all the actors are all kind of on the older side of like 40-ish, right? Yeah. And at yeah. the time when that came out, I was in my early 30s, and I was just like, it was just not on my radar. Even though I sure. knew it was Wes Anderson, I knew I would love it. I was like, I got to give this one like 10 years, and then I could come back yeah. to it. <laughs> well... Imagine like uh, Ray Fiennes going from Francis Dollarhide mm-hmm. to the most effete, uh, sort of conceited um, bellhop. Yeah, at at a high scale hotel that you can think of, and he yeah. pulls it off with a plum. I mean, he just nails it. Fiennes, he should have been nominated. I don't, I don't remember. Maybe he was, but anyway, he should have been nominated if he wasn't. There's our there's our um, Silence of the Lambs connection because he also played the Tooth Fairy. Him and Tom Noonan both. Yeah, that's he played exactly. The tooth, he played the Tooth Fairy in uh, the remake. Yep. It, oh, it, was it Francis Dollarhide? Yeah, was it Francis Dollarhide? He played Dollarhide. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the what I'm saying. Fairy. Like it, it all comes first full circle and mm-hmm. uh, test pattern and clock strikes midnight. Right, right, right. <laughs> hand in hand. Uh, but but no, what my I guess what I was getting at was that you've got this sort of he frames it like a stage play, yeah. and then here, <laughs> a play within the play. Is reflecting one of the play, one of the film's characters' favorite movies. Yeah, set yeah. to the stage. It's kind of like so many layers. It's like looking into the mirror that with a mirror behind you, and you mm-hmm. see all these reflections. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how he's trying to make it hyper realistic. It's hilarious right. how realistic it and is. And I don't think it's an accident that these play scenes. This one, there's the scene of the, it's it, what is it called? Um, love and hell or something that oh heaven and hell heaven and hell right like 
I don't think that's a mistake that Wes Anderson shows us those two explicit, like, giant scenes and just lets us see the play version of it, right? Oh, yeah. Like, more so with Heaven and Hell, but with this Serpico scene, like, <laughs> it's very indulgent to show us this. Sure. But it's on purpose because that's the reality that Max lives in. His whole life is a play. He's just yeah. directing people around. Yeah. Actually, we should probably mention that's how he got into Rushmore in the first place. Right. What did he write? As, he a, as a, a second grader, the, he wrote a play. About the Watergate scandal. About the Watergate <laughs> In second grade. Like that's, and his that's mother, like seven years old, man. Like that's, <laughs> his, his mother, rest her soul. Yeah. She, she, she doesn't play a critical role, but he Eloise. does sit sort of longingly. Again, the pathos, right? Yeah. He's, he's lost one of his two caretakers, presumably yeah. the one that propelled him into Rushmore in the first place. Right, right. Because he said, you know, he, she gave Dr. Guggenheim the the play and said, yeah. I think you should allow my son to attend your school. And not only did he let him, did he admit him, he gave him a scholarship. What was on the typewriter she gave? Did it say like Encore or something like that? It was There was a phrase on there that she wrote for him on the typewriter's case. Yeah. I want to say I, it's like Encore Max or... yeah. I, I like know, that. Something yeah, something like Bravo Max, something along Bra- those lines. I, mean, I think I it is Bravo Max, actually. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, to sort of keep him. Well, he comes uh, backstage after he... You can see he's he's almost mouthing the words. He's the director right. offstage for yeah. Serpico, and he's almost yeah. mouthing the words. And he's got... It, again, it's genius acting and, and direction. He's got a some kind of a cu- peculiar... Uh, antipathy with his leading man. Yeah. With the guy who's playing Serpico. Yeah. We don't know exactly what it is. It's just they look at each other a little peculiar yeah. earlier in the movie and, and they just they seem to bristle when the other person walks by. So finally he walks by. <laughs> He's chasing his actor down the hall and he said, uh, what happened to the cannoli line? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it worked anyways. What are you talking about? He said, well, I made it work. And he says, look, I'll let it slide this one time. But just don't. And he said, "God, let it go." And he turns and and he turns around and he just yells. Max is probably about three quarters this guy's height. Looks oh, yeah. up, wearing glasses, wearing his blazer, just says, uh-huh. "Don't fuck with my play." And like almost before he can get the line out, this guy has decked him across the nose. Right. And he falls, like falls flat, and he starts to get up right away. He's like, "I'm gonna kill you." It starts a real fight back there. It's good. It does. You know, but it the, made me laugh so hard because they, they, they still got a whole second act to go, man. If he beats up his leading man, who's going to go on his Serpico? I, I don't <laughs> think he has that kind of foresight. I, really I don't, don't think so either. Um, you mentioned <laughs> his his sport coat. That's that's like a costume. And and yeah. Schwartzman says in the commentary, you know, when I would put that that sport coat on, it informed my character. Like it made me act like Max Fisher. And then to take it even further, um, each character has kind of like a theme. Uh, I never noticed it before. All of Herman's outfits, all of his suits, the tie is the same color as the shirt. All yeah. of them. Yeah. And each change of clothing accompanies a change in character. So Max goes from the Rushmore outfit to the barber's outfit where it's like sure. all faded and gross. It's like clearly a hand-me-down. And then yeah. at the end, when Dirk comes in and has that conversation and gives him the Swiss Army knife, after that, he's wearing, like, a bright green, brand new barber shirt. Oh, interesting. So like, I, yeah, I have to that, go back and watch that. I'll yeah. be honest. I did not catch that. That does not come from me. That comes from the commentary. But okay. now that I know about it, it's totally true. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely true. And Herman's the same way. Like, when he's at his worst, his suits are not done up. He's not. His ties are not tied. Oh, yeah. So, we would mention, man, him in him in the elevator when he when he's going yeah, to see Doctor yeah. Guggenheim. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he looks like a walking wreck. He's yeah. got he's got a uh, 
He's smoking he, two cigarettes at the he's same time. He's smoking two <laughs> cigarettes. He's got this soda can in his pocket, and he's pouring like whiskey coke, right? from a flask yeah. into the Coke, right? Mm-hmm. And then once it's all empty, he like looks around sheepishly and like shoves the empty between the sheets. Yeah. In in the uh, like that are the sort of there cart. going, <laughs> there, yeah, going yeah. to the cart for rebedding, and he doesn't care. No. He's gone, man. But and like you said, he underplays it so beautifully. He gets off yeah. the elevator, and says, "Well, I'm a little lonely these days." That that's the line it's about it. where it's like you yeah. feel that, and only Bill Murray can do that because yeah. he doesn't deliver it in a way that a dramatic actor would. He just no. delivers it in such a plain, flat to the point way. Like he's yeah. not even lying. He's not even trying to hide it. It's just how he feels. And oh man. And it happens with those two cigarettes dangling from his mouth yeah. too, which yeah. makes really drives it home. Yeah. Uh, and his hair is all on but and, and this was like that mustache is a great look for Herman too. That just that random yeah. little mustache on the upper lip. Good. Yeah, Good. what's funny is that later when he's trying to, Max is trying to help him re- reclaim himself so that he can yeah. maybe come back to Rosemary when he's finally, so after Max decides, okay, maybe I don't hate him, maybe right. maybe I'm going to help him, maybe he's my yeah. friend and I should help him, and uh, he, he's going to get him a haircut from his dad. Yeah. And they don't really ask him, they just kind of put a to- puts a to- hot towel on his face and he yeah. lays him down. <laughs> he says, oh, well, I can see you need a haircut. Uh, how attached are you to that mustache? He's still to attached mustache, to that mustache? Yeah. And of course, that's the only thing he's going to keep. He's like, yeah. yeah. He you just, just see a little nod. He yeah, nods. Nod, okay. It's yeah. like, okay. Well, we'll, I, we'll there's it. an acting moment that happens in that scene when um, he figures out that Max's dad is a barber. And he's like, you can see the realization on Herman Bloom's face of like, brain surgeon. I get yeah. it. I get yep. it. Like, you wanted me to think he was a brain surgeon. Because you wanted me to think you were coming from something great. And yeah. this is your dad. And, and and as humble as he is, like, this is your dad. You love him. Like, I know you do. Yeah. And like that, again, there's that pathos. That whole segment, like the middle chunk of this movie where Max is really struggling to yeah. find who he is. And you've got, like, the characters that are really trying to bust into his life. Like, Margaret Yang is trying to get in there. Like she is trying oh, yeah. to, to, to like befriend him. And you can all, you can see the affection from early on. And he just is so blind to it because he's so self-consumed. Well, he's completely like obsessed, obsessive anyway. And, and let alone he's, he's completely like mad for infatuated yeah, with yeah. Uh, Miss Cross. Right. So he doesn't even right. give Margaret the time of day. She's just something to sort of help him, you know, achieve his, achieve the ends. Right. But, um, yeah, don't fuck with my play was a great line. Um, and then uh, I had another one where when uh, Dirk finally believes uh, Bucken, <laughs> right? And, who says, uh, "Are you kidding?" He's a Scottish, like this big yeah. Scottish brute. I don't even know if like he flunked a bunch of grades. How's he still at Mushmore? What's know. he doing there in the first they place? Said, they said they auditioned like thirty people from Scotland, and they <laughs> took one look at this actor and like that's him. We got him. None of these other guys are even close. Well, they said that the that what he did on his audition tape is exactly what Magnus became. It's the exact same character. <laughs> well, he kind of looks like a like a bigger, more like brutish well, ver- version of like Ron McGregor, right? Like K twelve, probably. So there'd be a yeah. bunch of different ages in there. Yeah, that's a good because I think he goes. What did they say? He goes from eighty six to 90, 98 or something. Like his on the on the Swiss Army knife, it says the dates, and he starts oh, yeah. in the eighties, yeah, yeah. and it's like over a decade that max fisher is there so right 
well, if I have to stay on for some kind of a postgraduate year, uh, so be right, it. right. We don't <laughs> offer a postgraduate. Year. I, I we we don't guy. yet. He's so good. At, he's he works so well off of Schwartzman too. <laughs> oh man, yeah. it's 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 like effortless acting. When he comes out of the coma, he's like Max. What do you want? <laughs> and his wife is like, "Oh my God, he's talking!" And like, he's talking. it's Max Fisher, the person he hates the most, that gets him out of the coma. So, do you think he understands what I'm saying? He says, "Oh dear, I don't think so." And he like looks right at the camera and goes, "What do you want?" It's Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> that was the part that made me fall off my chair. Yeah, uh, but uh, but no, I mean it's um. So what Dirk finds out from bucking that that max did say uh i got a hand job from dirk's mother in the back of her by the way hand job from connie nielsen the actress <laughs> yeah. plays dirk's mother and in the she back is of a jaguar <laughs> beautiful the back of a jaguar um <laughs> bloody jaguar <laughs> yeah and connie nielsen to be fair is just you know beautiful yeah. absolute stunner it, it and is a, a and, weird awkward scene between her and jason Schwartz. oh man when well, she's like in the two feet scene. taller than... right 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 <laughs> and it's clearly like he just likes being close to this it, it sets up he's into these older women right i do this a uh, lot but in the commentary owen wilson said there were so many beautiful moms at my at my christian school that i went to and that's why this scene is here he said they would always talk about everyone's beautiful mom because they went to you know like a rich school yeah. And so every one of these women was wearing like full makeup, wonderful clothes, had plastic surgery. Uh, yeah. And he said like, this is an homage to all the hot moms that I used to see <laughs> at the, at the Christian schools. Yeah. Well, she, when Connie... he was a kid himself, not being, a yeah. Girl. yeah. Right before he, before he got kicked out. Right. When he was Max Fisher's age, <laughs> having those conversations. But, but Dirk finds out and then decides, uh, he wasn't going to tell. He actually can, conf- he finds out that, um, that Rose somehow, it's still interesting to me how this happens, but somehow <laughs> Rosemary begins an affair with Herman. He, what does he do? He like sees them talking because he's at the school. He's at Rushmore and he sees it somehow. I know what you're talking about, but I yeah. also don't remember the exact instance of how Dirk caught them. Spe- oh, uh, was he leaving the house maybe? Yeah, it's the it's after the carrots. And yeah. They're walking hand in hand. I think that might be what it is, yeah. And he yeah. See, he sees them. Uh, he stops his bike and they play that <laughs> they play that really dramatic <laughs> organ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like dun dun and um It really then, is though the moment that triggers chaos in so many people's life because this is what oh, yeah. prompts like Herman is this what prompts Herman he he like belittles him and doesn't take him seriously, right? Right. And then he writes the note to Max. Exactly. And that's what triggers the cat the catastrophe that is like that vendetta montage you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and he but that's part of what I that's part of why I picked Dirk's uh so Dirk writes this letter. Yeah. He decides, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna drive the knife in <laughs> and giving set- each other hand jobs. <laughs> <laughs> All night long or something like that, like in the pool while thing. you were taking a nap yeah, on the front right. porch. <laughs> and I'm like, what I what I really enjoy about it is it's it's clear that these are pubescent boys yeah. or, or adolescent boys yeah. at least because he's he's writing about things that he's heard of but not right. not quite in the <laughs> right context. What's even better is he narrates the letter. Like, <laughs> he narrates it's little it. little. What's the actual name? You knew his name. He's a, oh, a Gamble, Mason Gamble. Yeah, yeah, Mason Gamble. It's his little voice reading this ridiculous plot of what he thinks was going on. It's something along the lines of, Dear Max, I regret to inform you 
that I have discovered that Miss Cross and uh, Mr. Bloom are having an affair. I first <laughs> yeah. discovered this when I saw them giving each other ham jobs while he was asleep on the porch. Oh my God. And then later they were Frenching each other in front of the house. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like they had this, they're you, he's using phrases that you would yeah. have heard as an adolescent, but not necessarily experienced. Right. So not quite using them. Yeah. Not knowing ab- necessarily what a hand job is, but knowing it's <laughs> right. something that'll upset. Man. Knowing it's something sexual that's done yeah. between two people in a relationship yeah. and, and just to get the rise out of Max, obviously, really. And then what's um, even funnier is Max referencing the letter as he confronts Herman. Like, <laughs> How were the hand jobs, Herman? What? <laughs> like Herman had no idea what he was talking about. And he keeps referencing. Yeah. I, you know, while I was sleeping on the porch. And yeah. Like, and uh, so did you, how'd about? you enjoy your skinny dip? He says, we didn't go skinny. Dip, right. Right. He's so confused by it. <laughs> and Max just takes this. These words as like literal. Like this is what yeah. happened. Truth. But to be fair, I mean, Dirk spilled the beans just enough to, to actually get right. the truth to him because right. then he says he, re, he cuts right to the chase and this is before one of my other favorite scenes he says oh and I, I guess you're not next you're gonna sure no skinny dipping no hand jobs yeah. I bet and now you're gonna tell me you didn't come out of her home at, at two, two in, in the, the morning. morning yeah and and the look on on uh Herman's face is is priceless because it's kind of like it, it's he... both shock at being caught, but yeah. also uh, empathy for his friend because right. he knows his friend likes him and he's so so done him dirty by going behind his back. And, Doesn't he and it's also funny because it's a 50-year-old and a 15-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> and he skipped out of the house. He practically skipped out of the house. He was like elated. Um, I think he follows that, that like, I'm not, I'm, you know, you came out of the house at two in the morning with, I love her, Max. Like he just yeah. he confesses. He's like, well, I'm caught. I'm just going to be honest with yeah. you. I love her. I don't know if she loves me, but I love her. Yeah. And then he it's and then he puts his hands on his knees and he looks into the yeah. looks into the car and says, "I wrote a hit play." <laughs> I wrote a hit play. <laughs> the hell did you ever do? <laughs> oh, that that need to be like recognized. The one up, so, the one upsmanship. Right, right. It's like one of his biggest character flaws. Yeah. But it also makes him so sad cuz you realize he's done nothing. No. In the gra- but he has he wrote a hit play several times. I mean, that Serpico play was fucking awesome. It was <laughs> like, awesome. I'll be honest. It truly was, yeah. Heaven and uh, Hell is I would an love amazing to see that. fucking play. <laughs> I would love to see it. I would love to see that, too. And even, like, Dirk, like, with the cigarette and the flamethrower flame going, let's rock! Let's rock! Oh, my God. And that was also slow motion, one of Wes Anderson's <laughs> yeah. aesthetic Yeah. And he's not blowing the flamethrower, presumably because of safety. It's just lit, and he's yeah. just swinging it back and forth. Ah, <laughs> shout, while shouting. It's it's a great sequence. I love that part. Oh man! Did you have? Where did you? Uh, did you think of any other sort of favorite scenes? Um. Well, I talked. I the the last scene that I picked like as a dedicated scene was the Heaven and Hell play. Like I yeah. ended up picking both plays because, you know, when I was younger, the montage, the the Vendetta montage was like such a fun and and like comedic moment. I was like, this is the best scene in the movie. But now that I've gotten older and I can appreciate some some things a little bit better. Like, I really think that the beginning and the ending of this movie are, are the, not, not necessarily the peaks, but they're really strong. That, oh, yeah. that hardest geometry problem as an opener, as a cold open to that classroom, and it informs you right away, okay, he's got these grandiose dreams of what he thinks people think of him, and it's not real. Yeah. And, and that continues through the whole movie, and the, the, the play at the end is supposed to be like his gift back to Herman. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like... Herman at the middle of the intermission, he's like, you know, I've been a lot of action, but I hope there's some heart in here too. Yeah. And Herman cries at the end. Yeah. And, he, and like, 
that I really do think that in in his mind, Max was saying, "I'm sorry for what I did to everyone," because this yeah. brings Guggenheim is there, Dirk is there. I mean, Dirk's in the play, but like the entire cast assembles for this moment <laughs> for this scene. And he orchestrates all of it and brings them together. Oh, it's it's amazing. My my favorite is that Guggenheim has recovered from his stroke enough to talk a little bit. He's there right. with he's in a wheelchair with his wife and yeah. he's got a blanket over his legs <laughs> and he's he's he doesn't have control of his hands. So he's having he's bossing her to cha- to right. turn the pages of the program. He says, "Okay, turn it, turn it, turn it. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> he can't stand him out anymore." I I, I really uh, do love that scene and I love. The, the dance at the end when like yeah. they're, they're all kind of reconciling, like literally now on screen, like everyone's kind of coming to terms with what's happened. Everyone's kind of recognizing well, these are who these people are and they're not going to change. I can accept them for who they are or yeah. I can reject them for who they are. And at least if I accept them on my terms, they can follow my terms. Max seems to have had some character growth. And then he hits that. And this is the Wes Anderson thing. The sound goes out and the music comes up. Yep. And that's that's it. And, and then the action slows down to slow motion. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's the Wes Anderson finale. And that, yeah. that I think that is like one of the three main things to, to point out in this movie is the Wes Anderson finale is essential to liking Wes Anderson. Because without it, this is too grim of a story. Like We yeah, need no, this moment. I, we need I, this slow motion and the song choice. I wish I knew <laughs> then what I know now, something like yeah. that. It's like, wow, that is a powerful piece for this movie specifically yeah yeah no that's uh that's the faces singing ooh la la, ooh um, la, la. which by the way for some reason i thought when i heard it i didn't recognize it as uh a british invasion song it is yeah yeah it's not from 1972 or something like that right right and uh and i looked at the i just looked them up a little quickly you know who was in the faces man no uh ron stewart and uh, rod stewart and uh and um Ronnie Wood is that Rod Stewart singing? Rod, uh, it's I don't think it is. I yeah, think I, I think say, it he's have that that husky yeah. quality to it. No, it's the other guy, and then okay. and Ronnie Wood playing guitar. That's awesome from the Stones. I'm like, whoa! And speaking of which, I am waiting is another Stones song that's yeah that's in this, which is just and outstanding the Stones too. gets used in Tenenbaums as well. Like Goodbye Ruby Tuesdays in there. Right? Yeah, Ruby Tuesdays in the, in, the, in um, Tenenbaums. Yeah, um, he goes a little more rock, I think in. Um, Zisu, right? We got some Iggy Pop in there, I think. Uh, Iggy Pop and uh, David Bowie. Yep. Uh, there's some, is the Kinks? There's some Kinks in this movie. There's a Kinks song. In there's this movie. one Kinks song. It's not uh, one of their big ones, but and it's the one when he jumps when uh, Herman is like, <laughs> "This is when you realize that Herman's life is down the shitter," yeah. uh, where he's sitting by the pool, like <laughs> oh, smoking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Throwing golf balls yep. into the deep end. Yeah. Yep. Looking across the pool. Yep. At his wife. By the way, I don't know about you, but I thought she was a that she's a middle aged stunner. His wife is a beautiful yeah. woman, the actress yeah, cool who played boy. his wife, redhead beauty. Yeah, and she's busy. I mean, obviously flirting with the tennis pro. Yeah. So I thought that yeah. was funny. Like in she's front of him, not even <laughs> right to hide in it. front yeah, of them absolutely. at the son's birthday, and they open like a crossbow. By the way, yeah. as like a, as a gift. <laughs> <The son's, laughs> it's a perfect. Which, by gift. the way, Bill Murray hated in real life. He hated those two kids. They did not get along at all. Oh, really? Yeah, there was real and West. All three people talked about it in the commentary. They're like, "Yeah, Bill did not like these two kids at all," and it kind of came through in the performance. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to. It was written that way, but it did. Yeah. It, it helped that he it worked. Didn't like them in real life. And actually, the other thing that I found cool, Jacob, was that they uh, that he worked for scale. 
Who? Bill, Bill and Murray liked this oh, movie yeah, so yeah. much. So we, we kind of got away from it. His agent mm-hmm. uh, loved Bottle Rocket. Was yeah. one of the few people who actually liked it. Yeah. So he said, "Bill, you got to read this script." So yeah. Bill read it and not only liked it so much, but but he was he was aware of the budget constraints. He said, "I'll work to scale." Yeah. And I think um, it was like ten thousand bucks. I mean, something like that. Not only that, there was a scene they were trying to film, and, and almost every day, Wes Anderson's on the phone with the studio trying to get more money. Like, I need to get this scene; it's essential for the movie. And yeah. there was one of those days where things were being held up by this. And Bill Murray wrote a check for $25,000 just on the spot. He's like, let's get this scene done. Let's do this. They, I don't <laughs> yeah. even think he never cashed a check and they never even filmed the scene. But uh, that's, right. that's what he was willing to do to get this project. Yeah. Done. And I well, think this yeah. really does kick off. I think this movie, followed by 10 Miles, followed by Zisu, is like that kicked off this, this arc for Bill Murray. And then around that time, you're also getting things like, was he in... Um, Lost in Translation, right? Yeah, was I was going to say Lost in Translation. Well. And, yeah. and it was like this this realizing I don't have to be the goofy SNL guy. Right. I can do drama. I can mm-hmm. do serious comedy. I can do comedies like Wes Anderson comedies. And and I think it really suits him as an older comedian. Versus I agree. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I did watch Ghostbusters. And at the end of Afterlife, when he comes out as Venkman, mm-hmm. he did it. He was Venkman. And it, it was like amazing to see him do it. Because you're like, well, he's too old to kind of get that same feel. No, he was Venkman. He nailed his (laughs) delivery as Venkman. Actually, all three of them did. I think Ernie Hudson did a great job. I think Aykroyd did a great job. They were only in the movie for like three minutes, but they were fantastic. No, I agree. I I agree with you. He's he's, uh, he's sort of, this is kind of, but I don't know, maybe it's just because I like his work in these so much better, if if you will, than than the other stuff that he does, Mm -hmm. that I go, I really feel like he's in his wheelhouse here. Yeah, I do too. I think he's better here. I, I'll admit, I tried watching Lost in Translation. I made it like halfway through, and it's like, I'm falling asleep. Sorry, this is not Wes Anderson. I needed yeah. to be Wes Anderson. Yeah. No, I hear you there. Uh, well, uh, we, we've sort of covered these things ins and outs right. uh, as we've I, gone I along. I admire you for trying to, to hold me to some sort of structure. No. I'm like a rampaging <laughs> bull, and you're trying to aim me towards some scenes or some points and i'm just like no no i think well because here's the thing we're gonna get to scenes and points and themes and actors and all the way back around again so yeah i just was thinking maybe what were some of your uh like like if you were because i know sometimes you talk to you know kids and you're like okay here's some takeaway messages right right? here's some takeaways from so what what are some of your takeaways from uh, i mean rushmore i guess what i would say is like I think Wes Anderson really knows how to make a movie for a certain set of people. Um, For select audiences, I think his movies are really powerful. And I think in some ways it's like reflective of this deeper feeling within where like I myself have always felt misunderstood because I know I'm hard to understand. Like I I don't deny that I'm a very strange person in real life. I'm, I'm so unlike my personality. Tab and I recently had a discussion about this, that like, People hear us. We're very comfortable with each other. We've known each other sure. for six years. Yeah. But even still to this day, if we're in the same room, we're both so fucking awkward with each other. And I know <laughs> she wouldn't mind me saying it because I am I am just as awkward. It's yeah. that thing of like, I, I don't know what it is. I've, I've always felt that people don't understand me, specifically my sense of humor. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm saying is like this movie is reflective of a feeling that I've had my whole life where – if people would just understand me, they would see that there is a person in here somewhere. Sure. There's a weird person, but there's a person in here. <laughs> and even if 
they don't find the same things quite as funny. I do. I do find this stuff funny. I do find this movie to be very funny, even though it is really sad. And, and, and these people are kind of despicable people. I, yeah. I think that there is so much heart. And at the end of this movie, I can't help but feel for these characters. I am right there with you, man. Uh, it's written off as quirky. But, it is. Um, that word is so... I hate that word. Yeah. And, and what and is quirky? It's kind of peculiar, but right. it sort of it strikes me as like this is like this is like three cheers from the for, for the underdog, yeah, number one for the outsider, if you yeah. will, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it's you a watch movie a made for outsiders. It's a movie about an outsider made for outsiders. Yeah, exactly. And it makes yeah. you and th- th- like you said that that either hooks you right away and you're, mm-hmm. you maintain you're captivated by it throughout. Or you, you just it doesn't connect and you move right. on, and right. that's fine too. But clearly, you and I are two people that this right. really connects right. with. And um, the thing I was thinking too was uh, sort of as a final thought was it just struck me sort of just trying to think about wh- how we would encapsulate our thoughts about this. Mm-hmm. So we've got these two characters, right? So Herman is a millionaire, okay, uh, with a big house, mm-hmm. drives a really nice car. He's got two strapping sons, a beautiful <laughs> wife. I mean, in the American dream, this guy has it all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he is freaking miserable. Yeah, it ha- yeah, he is yes. completely let down. It's like he ticked off all the boxes for what you're supposed to do in your life. Mm-hmm. But, you, but even despite this, you see him like crumble and crash as a human being. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of what got me is that kind of like, oh man. And same with, uh, with Max to, to a 15 year old's perspective. He's, he, he's his whole life. He says, Mr. Bloom, he says, I think you need to find one thing in your life that you love doing and then spend the rest of your life doing it. Unfortunately for Max, it's like, and for me, that's going to Rushmore. Right. Right. And you know, and we, we, it's, we are, my heart broke for him because I'm like, oh dude, you. You can't go to Rushmore right. the rest of your life. Right. I mean, I know right. you want to, but you can't do it. And so when he is finally um, expelled mm-hmm. for basically trying to replace the uh, baseball diamond with the state-of-the-art <laughs> right. aquarium. The most ridiculous plan I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. You, you really feel for him, right? And, and he goes with his little blazer on up in front of the, uh, you know, the kids at the tough school, at least in his brain. Uh-huh. Uh, and gives a little speech to try and be accepted. And I, I don't know. It's like they've they've... They've achieved the American dream and yet realize that that's not the answer to life. Right. And I think you know? that there's hints about, I, I think Wes Anderson wrote some of that into the movie because there's a, a scene early on where uh, Max runs up to Mr. Bloom's car and, and Mr. Bloom's just like, Max, you seem very happy. You've got it all figured out. What's your secret, man? And like, I think the secret is Max is young enough, inexperienced enough to be oblivious to the fact that he's also deeply unhappy. He sure. just doesn't know it yet. Like, he hasn't had the life experience to be unhappy like like Herman is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you see, but here's the interesting part. Herman's redeemable, right? Because he, he you see the spark in his eye when Rosemary yeah. reminds him uh, of something that I don't think he thought he could feel again. No, or maybe yeah, he has right. never felt, you know, right. I don't know. I, no, because like I think of him skipping down out of her house at two in the morning. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen a 50 year old man move so spryly. Right? <laughs> like he's, he's like, like I said, elated. He's, he's skipping down the steps. Yeah. He's in love. And I don't think he I think he had forgotten what that meant. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And there's that, there's that sort of touching scene later at his play during the intermission where he uh, she asks about what do you think of Max's last latest opus? And he says, well. 
let's just hope it has a happy ending. And she sort of runs her fingers through his hair. And the implication yeah. is, like you said, we've, we've got the, the, the buoyancy at the end of the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of the uh, Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Brought it 360 degrees. So. He's a very responsible filmmaker to take our feelings into consideration. Those people that those of us that do invest in his movies, he brings yeah. us back up to. Yeah, he doesn't always, but oh, no, I know. <laughs> and then my final thought uh, of the whole thing was that soundtrack, though. It's Come on, very. I mean, Wes Anderson knows how to make a sound. Well, like knows how to curate a soundtrack, yep. but this one in particular, because it was like the first of his movies that I, it was the first of his movies that I ever saw. Because of that influence of like the British invasion feel in the nineties, I had I had not heard music like that, right? Like I, I sure that that stuff had not come back yet. And Wes Anderson in many ways was like predating that that stuff coming back eventually. Um I, I remember people not not everyone grew up in the era of like instant cell phone I want I want to hear this song right now. Okay? Right. If you don't have the album, you can't do that. Like, yeah. that was my childhood. Like, you had to go get albums and listen to them, and then, like, you had to return it unless you purchased it. You had to, like, return oh, it to yeah. the library and stuff. Yeah, you had to buy, you had to buy the, whole, uh, the whole record for the right. one or two tracks that you dug right. and listen to the rest. And then uh, I think the big break was Napster, right? Napster would have, well, that for me, for, yeah, it was Napster. Like a there file sharing. LimeWire came afterwards, but Napster was, I, I did use Napster. I did download Metallica songs. Yeah. I never got sued, but I did. <laughs> um, I may I, have allegedly, uh, you know, listened to a few things on sure, Napster too, but sure. I think that's the first, you know, I think that's the first, like you that, said, the open file sharing. Right. And then where, after that was iTunes where you were like filling your iPod. Right? I, I yeah. had an iPod very early on and I filled that thing with 10,000 songs. Oh yeah! And oh my God, music is always something that's been a big part of my emotional pull into movies. If a movie can use music well, for me, it it becomes something in my mind that's ten times more than the director intended. And yeah. every Wes Anderson movie has moments like this. Yeah. Oh Yoko in this movie, like the 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 John Lennon song that they use. Yeah. Like there's so many moments. I I just think of so many moments in this movie where. The music enhances the emotion by tenfold. Yeah. Royal Tenenbaums is the same way, specifically. I I think of those two movies when I think of his music choices. Yeah, and he he also makes use of interesting covers sometimes. I think Mm -hmm. somebody covers the Jackson Brown song these days uh, in in Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, she is, I don't know what her name is, but Uh, she does several songs in Royal Tenenbaums. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and it's it's a really cool She has a very unique voice. She has yeah. a very unique voice, yeah. It's a beautiful, and it's a great song anyway, yeah. and yeah. you hear her sing it, but yeah, yeah so this soundtrack, man, and I, I would love to know the story. Did they talk in, in the uh, in the commentary about how he hooked up with Mark Mothersbaugh? No, he did not. Okay. I wish he did, honestly, because... I want to know how he found him, it's, or how they, are they friends? Did they, did he just say, I'm interested, are you making a movie, you know? The way you described it <clears throat> at the beginning of the episode is exactly how I described it. It's like, delightful and light and happy music. And it's almost like for this movie, it almost reminds me of like children, like child classical music or something. Right. Yeah. It fits the idea of Rushmore perfectly. Oh, it's, it does. It's, it's mercurial. It's mischievous. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost impish, right? But it's, but it's still like in the major key and it's light and orchestral. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, they, they bookend really well with the music. Yeah, and, um, and I think that Mother's Bow's soundtrack or like, you know, score 
goes really well with the soundtrack elements, the music, like the the actual music from um, like bands instead of yeah. composed music. All right, man. Well, listen, we have to uh, now. We're gonna have to uh, do the rankings. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna have to. So, how? What is the inspiration of your ranking? I'm gonna rank them as, uh, like, we have two philosophies here. Okay. What do I think people will find most palatable if they're listening and want to check out some more Wes Anderson? Sure. Or my own personal rankings for like. Yeah, me. I'm going. I'm going right to personal. I'm right, going go straight personal, to that too. because, uh, because that's how I'm gonna do my list. <laughs> I gotta pull up. I gotta pull up uh, a list of his movies. Because to be fair, while you're doing that, mm-hmm. uh, even the most what's the word accessible mm-hmm. Wes Anderson is still pretty, uh, what offbeat. do you think is the most accessible Wes Anderson? <laughs> okay. Probably. I think bottle rockets up there. I think bottle rocket is a very grounded movie. It's, it's bottle a rocket story. would be, or, or one of the two, um, animated features only because sometimes yeah. you expect the, that kind of quirk from the animated characters. Yeah. Not necessarily from live action characters, which is basically how, you know, these are animated live actors in real life situations. Um, so that I think that that's where if I had to start somebody, especially somebody who was a little younger, that's probably where I'd start a maybe Isle of Dogs or Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox. I think well, for me, I grew up reading Roald Dahl and I loved Fantastic Mr. Fox as a oh, kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. So for me, there's that element, too. I, I think Fox is a great movie and I would I, I love the cussing stuff like don't you cuss and look at me like that <laughs> i mean there's a whole sequence between george clooney and and bill murray where they're like what the cost did you say what the cost did you just say to me and they're so <laughs> angry and they just keep saying cuss it's so so well written i love that shit so much oh all right, all right. so you're gonna, we're gonna start from number one and we'll just go from there number one is in most liked yeah zisu zisu me. same yeah i mean same it for me, I connect to Steve Zissou more than any other character he wrote ever. As a kid, I would it would have been Max Fisher, but Steve Zissou. I mean, I'm not necessarily like Steve Zissou. Yeah, um, he's very selfish, kind of a horrible person <laughs> as well. But uh, I I like him a lot, and I just I project a lot into Zissou. Yeah, same, same. Uh, at some point, I'm going to have to convince you to come back if you have that, like. That's another what you wanted right and, away, and I was like, yeah. no. We can't well, go I think, straight to Zisu. Dude, I, I, I was totally with you. I was so glad you said that because, look, here, so Jacob was gracious enough to come on here. By the way, this is the last year of regularly scheduled test pattern episodes. It's a great mm-hmm. podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you probably have. If you have not, go listen to it. And yeah. listen to them all, man. I, I've listened to the entire <laughs> catalog. But anyway, it's fantastic. Um, and, and so you've you got a lot going on. So yeah. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. That said, when I wrote when I wrote to you, I said, "Okay, I think it might be time. We're gonna have mm-hmm. to tackle some uh, some Anderson." Mm-hmm. And and like, I, I part of me was like, "Oh, oh, damn! I should have said, but not Zizu yet." And you wrote back like almost like the same day, almost. You were like, yeah. "Okay, fine. Anything but Zizu is too big. Uh, yeah, it's, it's too, too much. Big. We can't go straight uh, to Zizu. It's like <laughs> the best <You> know, one. <laughs> let's work our way up." And I think Rushmore was a great choice for that. So, who's yeah. your number two? Or which one's your number two? It's. It oscillates between Rushmore and Tenenbaums. I'm going to throw Tenenbaums down only because I can acknowledge that it is a better movie than Rushmore is. I mean, I I really do think it is a better film than Rushmore. But that's not saying Rushmore is bad. That's just saying Tenenbaums is exceptional. I think Tenenbaums is also probably the most palatable for general audiences. I think people would... Although, one, look at... Is it... um, 
Dan, what's his name? Uh, Danny Glover is he? Is the yeah? Danny, oh, like, Danny the Glover way is so he looks, good. The out the suit that he wears and his hair and stuff is so crazy. But I love that character. Yeah, my um, favorite part. I have to. I sorry. I have to segue for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's walking uh, with with a woman that he wants to date, who is who used to be married to um, her name is Ethel Ethelene Ethel, yeah. Tenenbaum. She used to be married to to um, Royal Royal, and he's walking with her, uh, and he's trying to convince her that he's worthy of dating. And they're on an excavation site, oh. and she just walks. And in the background, we see him walking, and then he just. <laughs> He very alarmingly, his face gets alarming and he disappears, falls forward out of frame. And she continues and she walking and talking, going. not knowing. <laughs> and comes back and she says, uh, are you, what, where'd you, and he, he's like, they, they flash back to him and he's getting out of the hole. He's yeah. climbing out of the excavation hole. I mean, Henry Sherman, Henry Sherman is one of my favorite. I mean, uh, it's hard. Like I could go down the list of Wes Anderson characters. I think, oh, yeah. Uh, stand out in that. Is, what's your number two before we even go here? Okay, it, so go ahead. you split Rushmore, Tenenbaums, and we uh-huh. have Tenenbaums. I split um, Grand Budapest and oh, Tenenbaums. I'm missing out then. Clearly, I'm missing out. Well, I and I have to go Tenenbaums for number two, though. Okay. But so I while go we're Tenenbaums. on Tenenbaums, yeah. who's the top character for you, the most interesting to watch? Maybe not necessarily the one you connect with the most, but whose story do you like the most? I think the most, uh, honestly, I think it's Royal. Roy, yeah, I, I think as a, I take as royal. Adult, like as a, I call I call myself a grown up now, right? Yeah, as, a, right. as, as someone uh, now now at middle age, for me it's royal as well. He's a yeah. very compelling character, and as much of an asshole as royal is, oh he is. He's like an adult Max, where he manipulates everyone all the time and is so deeply unlikable because of that. But yeah. he's also so fucking pathetic, and again in the pathos form of pathetic. Oh, he's where he's, I feel sad for him yeah very much so and again classic anderson you, he still has a despite all the nonsense he's he's got basically he's really doing it just to reconnect with his family because yeah he does care yeah. after all and uh and he doesn't know how else how he doesn't know any other way to do it except for to be devious and he even says like at the end of it i think sherman says to him he says uh they're walking along you remember the scene and he says uh I think Royal says to him, you know, uh, I know I'm a, I know pretty, I'm pretty bitch. much an asshole, <laughs> yeah. but I would be really blue if uh, you guys didn't forgive me and, and have a good life or something like yeah, that. And he says, yeah, yeah Royal, I, I didn't think you're an asshole. I just think you're kind of a son of a, a bitch. Son of a bitch. Yeah. And without missing a beat, Royal goes, yeah. well, that, that really means a lot to me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hackman is almost the perfect actor to play that, that character. Yeah, um, I think for the second time, Jacob, that that was Anderson's first choice, and they got was him. it. Hackman was his first choice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, kind of. Wrote I know it for much him. less about Tenenbaums. Um, it because it's such an emotional movie, and it like I'm I'm the kind of person that like I kind of avoid emotions. I find them to be like draining and and exhausting, and and like almost like I have an aversion to feeling things. And like and again, I say this as in from movies because that's the only way I feel emotions. Well, sure. I, I avoid certain movies because I know they're going to affect me and I'm going to have feelings. And Tenenbaums yeah. is one of them um, because it's such a deeply moving and sad story. And for everyone involved, like Chaz's storyline, Ben Stiller, <laughs> oh, is man. so good in that movie. And he really is. between him and Royal, where he's like, I think you're having a nervous breakdown. Like, and he's like yelling at his son. And Chaz is not receptive to it yet. So sad. That's <laughs> you mean in the child. closet? 
where he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, are you listening to me? And he says, yes, I am. Look at all these games. <laughs> I haven't played these games in years. I don't think we've been in here in years. <laughs> Oh, Tenenbaums will be soon too. We'll to, oh yeah, we got We definitely we'll have, have to, to cover that. So that that's both. So we've got one and two the same. But it sounds right. like we're about to split. And then uh, I would say after that would be Rushmore for me. Three is Rushmore. Rushmore, outstanding. And I love Rushmore. And it's yeah. it's uh, not not really. I don't think it's in my top five, but it still is a yeah. beloved movie. I'm going Grand Budapest. Yeah. Uh, I won't expand on it too much, except to say. Anderson continues to out Anderson himself. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, in that movie. And, and he gets a few new players on board who you haven't seen before. Okay. Uh, at new actors. Uh, and and they, they fit right in. Trust me when awesome. I tell you. That's his first, uh, the first thing he did with uh, Tilda Swinton. She comes oh, back. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ray Fiennes is in it. Um, uh, the kid who plays Flash in the new uh, Spider-Man movies. Uh, it's, is it Rivoli? I think his name is Rivoli. I don't know. Uh, like Trevor Rivoli. Anyway, uh, he's oh, really that good. Sounds so, familiar. Yeah. I won't yeah. say too much, but I okay. just say watch it when you get a chance, man. So that's that's uh, so that's my three. You got a okay. four? Uh, now I'm probably gonna put Fox, which is my surprise people over like Moonrise Kingdom and stuff. But I'm telling you, and see, this is again, these are my rankings. So like. It's just the movies that I prefer. I'm not no slight to any of these by any stretch. Oh, no. I'm not going to say Fox is worthy of, like, Oscars. I think some of these movies are. I don't know that Fox is. Maybe uh, special effects. Or well, for, Fox like, was nominated for two Oscars. For so. an, best animated? Was it, was, did it uh, get that one? I think so. Yeah, I don't remember the ones that exactly. Um, it didn't win any, but it was nominated for two. Tenenbaums was nominated for one. Um, Budapest ah, was nominated. Tenenbaums was only nominated for one Oscar. Mm-hmm. It was, and I think it was best original screenplay too. That's a cuss and shame. Uh, it was no <laughs> Don't you cuss it me? It really is. It really is. <laughs> uh, and so I got to say though, one, two, three, four for me. I can yeah. get subtle interchanges. Okay, I, I'd say Zizu stays atop. The other, yeah. the other th- three kind of jockey for me. The next one would be Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, and it's, it's such something, a charming story. It's it, it charming. Really is. There's something about the fact that those these are novel actors that you've uh-huh. never seen before uh-huh. that they're they're child actors but they do such an amazing job. Yeah. And it it literally is like writing this this fable. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know that I mean I I could I suppose you could say this about all these films to a certain extent but it's a charming fable with really, really excellent performances, not only from the well-known actors like uh, Bruce Willis and, um, uh, well, Murray back, Murray's back again. Murray's back, yeah. Uh, and Francis McDormand, obviously multi-academy oh, yeah. award winner, fantastic actors. Bruce Willis gives in, in my opinion, probably his best acting performance Short, of his entire uh, career. Uh, Bob Balaban's the narrator in that, right? Bob Balaban's the narrator. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's excellent. Uh, Schwartzman comes in later as mm-hmm. like uh, somebody cousin at the at the scout camp yeah. he's kind of a wheeler dealer and edward norton is that edward norton's only wes anderson does he ever come back no he came back for budapest too and okay. he's excellent in budapest okay so you'll have to see him there yeah yeah definitely uh um, but I, we... I i will say jared gilman and kara hayward were fantastic as like you said they're oh man they were children in this movie i mean like no, no way around it they were little kids and they yep. carried a whole feature film by a Wes Anderson writer. I mean, the lines they were given were not traditional Hollywood lines. No, and they and they put them in these peculiar, like really awkward, uh, uh, yeah. sort of pre-sexual yep. adolescent situations. Yep. yep. And uh, and the, and somehow they carried it off with a plum. And that again, Moonrise Kingdom got nominated for an Oscar as well. 
For what? Uh, what was it for? I, I think that was also best uh, best screenplay. Yeah. It might have been best picture. I might have to go back and double check that. It's really cool that he gets all these screenplay credits because I think that's his strength is is writing a movie, writing a drama with interesting dialogue. Uh, he did say in the commentary, Wes Anderson said that all the improv was little physical stuff like Bill Murray falling over the fence uh, or uh, the kiss when he was when he crawled up into the or you know knocked on her window in the middle of the night. That kiss was the last take. He he improvised that kiss. That, oh, that just wasn't leaning forward and kissing yeah. her. Yeah, that wasn't in the original script. Yeah. He said that's the kind of thing that he appreciates from actors when they improv imp- when they improvise. Um, physically not changing the dialogue. He said they, they re- they read it pretty much as it was written. Like as it's it not very different. I love how it, 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 he, he's like brings the bike that Herman had run over and he right. puts it right under <laughs> the street. Lamp. It's almost comical. <laughs> it's like the streetlight shining down on it. Like that's the kind of humor I like. Most people won't look in the background and see that. Oh my God. I noticed that's that set up right away. That I notice immediately. I'm like, I fucking love <laughs> that. That's there like that. The only thing you're missing is like that deep, like, a chord of like <laughs> and the other question this is the other question i have too yeah. they never explain where the hell that ladder came from instead right. of going to the instead of going did to the front door did he bring <laughs> that's what i'm thinking because he, he doesn't go to the front door he literally goes to where he knows she'll be most vulnerable in her bedroom yeah because the light's on yeah. yeah so he puts the ladder and climbs up in his you know supposedly concussed state mm-hmm if you had to, if, okay, if you had to round out your top five, we have one to go. Moonrise, without yeah. a doubt, Moonrise. Yeah. I mean, nice. so I'll be honest, like, Isle of Dogs, I saw once, once, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'll, I totally even forgot about the French Dispatch. I have not seen that yet either. It, oh, that's good, too. I, yeah. Again, I think you will truly enjoy it. Um, it's it got does, a lot does... of modern actors here. Like, I'm just looking in, just peeking in here. There's yeah. a ton of actors. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Del Toro's in this one. Balaban's yep. back. Henry Winkler's in this movie. And tr- again, they fit perfectly. This is what I love about his casting. Wow. They all fit. Um, the actress, oh, this is terrible that I cannot remember her name, but she is, she's a small part, but she is, she is so welcome. Uh, she plays the handmaid. Um, oh, um, I know. Trying, said do this she's not way. on this main list. I know. She's an invisible man, the new invisible man. Yeah. No, I'm trying to remember her and name. I just want to say <sighs> Judith, but it's not. It's I not have Judith. not seen Handmaid either. So like, <laughs> okay. All right. I, I know what it's about, alone. though. But why can't I not give her name? She deserves it. And hold on. I'm going to get this cast going on here. Because yeah. she is a solid actress. And she has recently come around with, like, she's. Uh, Elizabeth Moss. That's oh, who it is. Elizabeth Moss. Thank you. That's I just thought of her name. Yeah. Uh, she is really she doesn't have a massive role, but yeah. what she does, she just she just burns through the screen. You, you'll see it; it's really good. Um, my my number five is um, is the Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, that's one that I need to give another chance to because I saw it when it first came out in my early twenties, and I yeah. know there's things there for me now that I did not detect in my that 20s. you didn't pick up. Yeah, it's it, it's it's one of the. Um, <laughs> this is saying a lot. It's one of the stranger mm-hmm. Anderson films. Mm-hmm. It's got a much smaller cast. It's like the three of them. It's um, it's really the three of them Owen, interacting. Um, it's Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, and um, uh, the the jacket guy. Uh, oh, the jacket. That's a really Adrian Brody. Thank you. Adrian yeah, it's a very good movie too. Oh, I love the jacket. I like Thank Adrian Brody a lot. I, I think he's a great actor. I think he brings a yeah. lot to his roles. Um, I actually think the first movie I saw him was Summer of Sam. Um, yeah, he's in that oh, movie. He, he was he was great in that playing yeah. Richie. 
Uh-huh. They say, Richard, why do you have a why do you have a British accent now? That movie my dad walked out of. We watched that as uh, that as a family. I was I was with my parents, and I was probably it would have been right when it came out. I was probably a teenager still. And my dad was so uncomfortable with the orgy and all that shit. He's like, oh, oh right. yeah, I kind of forgot movie about is that. Intense. There's yeah. a lot of sexual stuff in that movie. That's but true. What well, Richie kind of I think Richie went to like he he, he like a, becomes gay, a male prostitute a male, or something. Yeah, a gay prostitute. It's kind of peculiar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 a little bit weird, but. Uh, but yeah, so so the three of them play uh, brothers on a kind of a spiritual journey. It's a little Similar bit to bottle uh, rocket, it sounds like. deeper, a little bit darker. Yeah. Uh, and it also features, I think one of the reasons I was interested with Jacob is because I have sisters. I don't have a brother okay. uh, that I grew up with. Okay. And this this seems to capture the spirit of that three brothers who spirit. grew up together and yeah. then kind of sep- went their separate ways and now are kind of being clustered back together uh, i could already tell i'm gonna like it because it's like <laughs> I, you're, you're saying it i'm like vaguely recalling all these elements yeah and i'm like i didn't pre- i don't know what it was i did not appreciate them at the time i'm a very different film viewer than i was in my 20s i really am yeah no well i mean i guess we all are though and you've come a long way yeah. uh and i i've heard your taste change over the course of uh of test Absolutely, yeah. you know like tabas said hey have you ever seen this you're like uh no i never yeah. gave that a shot and you watch so it. So many like, movies that I've resisted that I realized, what the fuck was I resisting for? Yeah, like uh, what was the the the, the uh, what was the, the the Paradise, Phantom of the Paradise, Phantom of the Paradise. It? Yeah, and you're like, the very I love first that episode, movie. Yeah. Um, and then um, there's a great. I, I I'll leave you with this line from from my my top five finalist. Uh, the two brothers are rolling around. The, uh, so Wilson and Brody are rolling around the, on the floor, okay. <laughs> kind of beating each other up for because they just got so frustrated with each other. Sure. And. Uh, and they're fighting, and they at some at one point they're not quite sure why they're fighting. Okay. So so he goes, I love you, and the other guys, well, I I love you too. Ah. And then finally Schwartzman comes over to break it up, and he says, "This is my favorite, one of my favorite lines from the whole play." He's like, "I love you too, but I'm gonna mace you in the face." <laughs> I I need to watch it. I owed it too. So I'm bad. <laughs> yeah. What's nice is having all of these movies in your house, like just able to pop these things in. These yeah. are great movies to watch when you're feeling like I need to like I'm not a drinker, but I would need a drink for some of these movies to just sit back and, and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, honestly. yeah. And that's a, that's meant to be a compliment. Believe me. No, no. Trust me. I yeah. I get it. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for yeah, coming on here and talking about this. And honestly, I, I'm just I I have to be honest. Like I, I really, you're a great guy. I respect your opinion enormous enormously. And well, when you. I found out that you were a a Wes Anderson guy like me, I was like, I have to work that out somehow. Yeah. It's and weird so. <laughs> that people see, you know, they hear one side of sure. me on Test Pattern. There are other things besides horror that I really like a lot. Yeah. And Wes <laughs> Anderson, I would imagine the Wes Anderson horror community crossover is pretty minimal. But yeah. oh, when it is, it's magic. Uh, oh, man. It's fantastic. Well, if I can, I'll get you back on here to talk about at least at least one or two other Andersons yeah, and maybe yeah. even a Jared Hess or two if you're... Oh, boy. I was going to ask, who do you mind. think is coming up? It's Jared Hess, and I'd, I'd say Taika Waititi is also in this same vein. Yeah. Um, like, when he's when he's released, have you seen Jojo Rabbit yet? Uh, you know what? My sister... I have not, but my okay. sister saw it, and she she immediately, she called me, like, right after, and she yeah. said, you have to see this. Yeah, I mean, if this you like Wes Anderson, you. you're going to like JoJo Rabbit yeah. as well. Yeah, that's, that's pretty... She didn't yeah. say Wes Anderson, but she yeah. said, this is your style of yeah. movie, your yeah. style of comedy, and so uh, forth. Dude, so. I'm, I would always talk Gentleman Broncos. 
for real. Awesome. <laughs> like, well, that's, like, I'm going to take you well, up on that. Buddy. Yeah, please do. <laughs> hey, are you, um, is there, uh, where, where are you online? Where can people find you if they want to chat about Wes Anderson with you? Uh, the last remnants of me online is, is my Twitter handle. And I would say you better be fast because <laughs> my days are numbered. I, I've already been kind of vocal that after test pattern wraps, there may be a, an offline period for me. And a little washout of yeah. uh, social media. <laughs> for the holiday season. We're, we're tentatively scheduled to wrap Halloween 2022 here. Yeah. And yeah. that gives us, and by wrapping then, we'll have edited before then. So we'll get to do like the real Monster Kid Marathon with everybody. You mean like yeah. a little secret here I'll reveal on your show. Sure. It's really hard to do Monster Kid Mailbag when you're also doing a podcast because you still have to record that shit, edit that shit, watch the movie several times over. Like you don't get you don't get to do the stuff that you say. Even though I'll take a picture of the opening scene, usually yeah. I then stop it and put in the show that we're going to record that week. I don't get <laughs> yeah, to participate right. in a lot of that fun stuff. Yeah. Since our last episode comes out on Halloween, we'll have that edited by then. We can actually do Monster Kid Marathon with everybody this year. Yeah. And then get those two months off, November and December, and just take those two months off. It's um, so exciting. And and I'm looking forward to it. Like, I haven't fully disconnected. Twitter's the last bastion of online. And by the way, I should say it's at Bandrum, B-A-N-E-D-R-O-M. Yep. And uh, that that's it. I don't have a Twitter anymore. I don't have a, a Facebook anymore. I, I deleted it. We used to interact with, like, the show Facebook page, but I've yeah. given up on that. I don't have Instagram. I don't have TikTok. <laughs> I'm too old for TikTok. It's <laughs> yeah. the way I say it. Uh. I'm too old for it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you want to talk anything, you know, Wes Anderson, Jarrett Hess, or, yeah. or horror movies, that's kind of my wheelhouse, or Jim Henson. Yeah. I'll talk to yeah, Henson Jim Henson's is good too. Well. <laughs> well, it's funny you you on uh, Twitter is kind of like you're kind of like the wise old owl. I, I can tell <laughs> I can tell you're out there listening, yeah. and then every like every once in a while this nugget of wisdom just shows up, Bing, and I'm like, oh, oh <laughs> Jacob that, came on. <laughs> I'm glad that that's how it comes off because that's how I want it to come off. Like I don't tweet often, but when yeah. I do, it's usually something I'm like, this is worth tweeting about. Yeah, and and it's pretty rare. I, it's probably like sometimes months <laughs> in between, but. Yeah, no, trust it me. It doesn't mean all... I'm not there. Send me a message. Yeah. I think my DMs are open or whatever. Slide in if all you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're always, you are always worth the effort and the time, my friend. Thanks again for thank being you. here. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Thank you for listening to Clock Strikes Midnight. For more information or to suggest topics, find me on Twitter at Fin313. The show's music was written by Kevin McLeod and can be found on Incompetech.com. Many thanks to my great guests who give freely of their time. And thank you for listening. Until next time.